everybody, Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Well, I think it's time that I review another movie. It's been about a month <laughs> since the last one. And since I ended 2021 on a sad note with the movie Stepmom, I mean, it's a perfect, you know, holiday movie for, you know, for the time of year and everything. And I'm like, you know what, I want to do something funny. But not straight-up comedy. It's more, um... It's a very well-known movie. In fact, it has two sequels, which I won't be covering those. And I've been wanting to do this particular movie for a very long time since I started reviewing movies on this podcast. It's a movie that, when it came out, I would not yet have been three years old. Yes, it came out in 1985. And if you haven't guessed it already, I am going to be covering 1985's Back to the Future, starring Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> I love this movie. Actually, uh, to be completely honest, I actually saw the third movie in the theater before I think I ever saw the first one. And I think it was in a... I might have been an adult by the time I saw the second one. And, yeah, well, the thing... <laughs> I remember my aunt had taken me and her kids to see the third one. And I it was one of those movies that probably started at 8 o'clock at night. And, you know, a movie like... That, well, it came out... It came out in 1990, I thought the third one did. And, um, let me see here. Back to the, yeah, 1990. So, I would have been eight. So, and these movies, I believe, all are at least over two hours long. At least I think so, anyway. Uh, an hour and 58 minutes. Um, <laughs> but even still, it's just, I remember sitting in the theater, and it's getting towards the end of the movie, and I am, like, practically falling asleep because uh i normally don't st <laughs> my bedtime i think was like 8 30 9 o'clock tops so i'm just like come on come on. and the thing is if you haven't seen the first two you're not gonna know what's going on in the third one <laughs> like the barest of bones information they'll feed you from the other two movies but yeah but and the thing is, I mean, I think the second movie and the third one, Back to the Future 2 and 3, are, they're good, but I honestly just, the first one is always going to be my favorite, and that's why I'm just covering this one. So, synopsis, of course, for those of you who have never heard of Back to the Future, Marty McFly, a 17-year-old high school student, is accidentally sent 30 years into the past in a time-traveling DeLorean invented by his close friend, the eccentric scientist Doc Brown. Of course, we have this directed by Robert Zemeckis, who, of course, brought Forrest Gump, another of my favorite movies, which I will at some point cover for the podcast because it's one of my favorites. Uh, writers Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. Alright, let's look at the cast here. We have Michael J. Fox playing Marty McFly. This would have been at the height of Michael J. Fox's... I mean, he was he was on Family Ties. That came out in, I believe, I thought it was 82. 
And I honestly, for a while, I mean, I would watch, Growing Pains is honestly like Family Ties only flipped around. <laughs> exact same premise, just set in two different states. And it's just, both are very good shows. And the thing is, when they had, I don't know if they have Family Ties on Amazon Prime anymore, but when they did, I watched a good chunk of it. I think I stopped at season five when I think there's like seven seasons, six, seven seasons of that show. I had to take a break from Alex because he was getting on my last, last nerve with the way that he was just, ah, I did not like his attitude, attitude towards women. But all right. So we got Michael J. Fox. We have Christopher Lloyd. Uh, yeah, the movie I would have covered with Christopher Lloyd in it. Of course, Dennis the Menace, which is available on, uh, if you go to SoundCloud. Or it may even be available on iTunes still. Uh, yeah, he plays Dr. Emmett Brown. We have Lee, Leah Thompson playing Lorraine Baines. Now, in the movie, I swear I thought her name was Bates. I thought she said Lorraine Bates. I'm going to listen for it again this time, of course, with the subtitles on. We have Crispin Glover as George McFly. The only other movie I would have said I've seen him in after seeing Back to the Future would have been What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And then, of course, that movie Willard, the, that remake about the guy who befriends all those you know, rats and mice and stuff like that. Uh, we got Tom Wilson, who plays the bully Biff Tannen. We have Claudia Wells playing Jennifer Parker. She will later be replaced by, um, what the heck is her name? <laughs> uh, the girl from the Karate Kid, <laughs> first Karate Kid film. Um, and Adventures, um, Adventures in Elizabeth shoe yeah that's it uh mark mcclure plays dave mcfly marty's older brother and wendy joe sperber plays linda mcfly marty's older sister so yes he is the baby of the family we have sam baines playing marty's grandfather in 1955 which he, <laughs> his and of course the mother of almost, she was the mother of so many in the 80s. Marty Mc, I'm speaking about Frances Lee McCain. She plays Stella Baines. That's Marty's grandma, Lorraine's mother. And yeah, she was in the Gremlins, Stand By Me, Footloose. She played Kevin Bacon's mom in Footloose. She played, um... The mom in Gremlins, uh, Will Wheaton's mom in Stand By Me. And she, you saw her consistently, like, all the time. Like, you saw her and you knew, like, yeah, that's the mom from this movie. That's the mom from that movie. That kind of thing. We also have James Tolkien playing Mr. Strickland. So we have a Wonder Years couple of them actually a couple of wonder years alums here granted the guy who plays mr strickland was only in i think an episode of season six of the wonder years he played kevin's wrestling coach for an episode we also have <laughs> um yeah 
Jason. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh my goodness. Why am I blanking on his name? I covered six seasons of that show. Uh. Jason Hervey plays Milton. He plays um, Lorraine's younger brother. She's got a lot of young siblings. Maya Bruton is another one that I think might be from some other show. Uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Yeah. Adventures in Babysitting. That's another one. There is another, uh, yeah, she was also in an episode of The Wonder Years. She played Linda in, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the episode. It's the one where Kevin wants to go to the dance with this girl who's, like, really stuck up. And turns out, uh, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of, a handful of Wonder Years alums here. <laughs> Yeah, we got, let's see, any uh, uh, Clock Tower Lady, Elsa Raven. <laughs> oh, my God. Goldie Wilson, played by Donald Fullalove. We got Billy Zane. We got a Titanic alum here. Billy Zane playing one of... Uh, <laughs> uh, Biff's goon friends yeah oh my goodness he's what i think he's the one that wears like those little those 3d glasses yeah courtney Gaines plays dixon he's another kind of bully um towards the end of the movie or he might also be in there oh yeah a lot of what um gary riley he plays guy number one. <laughs> I've seen he was in uh, Stand By Me. Same as Lorraine, the woman who plays Lorraine's mom. Uh, he was also in some episodes of Silver Spoons. All right, so let's we got a handful of trivia, which I honestly feel I am just going to hold off on until the end of the movie because there's just so much, and I kind of want to just... Uh, kind of pick the best ones because this this movie is a hundred <laughs> this movie is an hour and 56 minutes long so all right gave you the cast list the director the writers uh it's got a 8.5 of course out of 10 based on 1,138,822 ratings on imdb so without further ado let's jump into Back to the Future. I just thought, let's kick off, even though January's just about over with, let's kick off 2022 with this awesome, awesome movie. Uh, also, real quick, if you want to, you can email the podcast at lbomwonderyearspodcast at gmail.com. I tend to sometimes go in... Um, like, I'll have a theme with some of the movies that I show. This year, I'm not going to do that nearly as much, I don't think. Um, yeah. The only time I think, honestly, I'm going to do that this year is for the summer, the Free Willy movies. I'm going to be covering three. the three. I'm not covering the one with Bindi Irwin. Free Willy 4 or whatever that is. I'm not doing that, so... Yeah, and then I think February, I think I want to do 
kind of maybe kind of a romantic comedy I really honestly even though it's classified more as a drama I do want to cover Where the Heart Is with Natalie Portman and actually that movie has got a, 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 a bunch of cameos a bunch of cameos in that movie Sally Field, Stockard Channing, Joan Cusack, Ashley Judd, just so many that even if they're just there for a, a, a beat, it's just, uh, it's such a good movie. And I honestly, I have not watched it in years because I want, I usually, I like to put some distance between me and a movie that I cover just so that way my reaction is more more genuine especially you know if I haven't watched it in ages and ages and ages so yeah definitely all right another one I really want to get to this year is one that really you don't hear about it that often uh, it came out I believe in 1993 it's called Heart and Souls it had Robert Downey Jr. in it uh, Elizabeth Shue the late Charles Grodin um, Kira Sedgwick, uh, Elvie Woodward, I believe her name is, just such an amazing movie that just really, it's one of those I watched when I was like 10, 11 years old, and it stuck with me, and I, I, I literally have not watched it since I was probably in my early 20s, so it's, it's been a decade and a half, and I just... That movie just, it, it touches my heart so much, and it's so beautifully done, and it just doesn't get enough, really, a whole lot of praise, but that's just kind of, like, up in the air for the next couple months, so. So, all right, I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's jump into Back to the Future. Yeah, I just, and the thing is, this is just such an awesome scenario, because, Think about it. If you could, if you had the ability to see your parents as teenagers, would you want to do that? What if it was up to you to bring your parents together to make sure that you would exist in the future? That seems like a heavy task. It really, really does. And I, I honestly think one of the rules, if you're going to go back in time, you need to keep mum. You need to keep your mouth shut about stuff that happens in the future. Um, what's there, There's a good YouTube series that I watched um, right after we all quarantined in March of 2020. It's by Julie Nolke, I think. It's called Explaining the Pandemic to Myself. It's so good. I think there's at least six or seven parts to it now. And it's just so, so cool. And that's the thing. The whole butterfly effect thing is, like, you really, really, really want to watch out for what you say. If you're going to go back in time, because you don't know what chain of events you're setting off by um, revealing things that haven't happened yet. <laughs> I think we can all say, those of us that have seen the the butterfly effect, which that, honestly, that one and uh, Donnie Darko is another one that are just, I, I love those movies. I just, time travel movies just are phenomenal, just amazing. 
And of course, the top of the list, of course, is Back to the Future. Uh, Butterfly Effect, definitely, I would like to sometime cover that for the podcast. Uh, Donnie Darko as well, definitely. I actually found the, discovered that movie by accident when I was working at the video store. And uh, it was late at night, close to close, and... <laughs> someone uh one of the my co-workers was playing it and that's how I was introduced to the movie and then after I saw it I'm just like wow amazing so all right I've talked enough let's let's do this all right so the movie begins the credits come up and we are in a room with every single type of clock that could ever be be made there is a version of it from alarm clocks to a clock with Roman numerals that is contained under a glass dome which I think my grandma had something similar like that one that was under this uh, glass dome that was on um, the TV which of course was one of those TVs that was encased in wood <laughs> And I'm just now looking at it because, you know, doing a podcast, you look at things more clearly. You're seeing things you might not have really noticed before. There's a clock that looks like it's from, like, maybe, I don't know whether it's the, uh, is it Edwardian era, era or Victorian era, uh, old, old uh, London. We got a man leaning against a... It's supposed to be a lamppost, but has a clock on. Oh, no, there is a lamppost that actually has fire coming out of it. Um, and there's a guy with the, in the top hat. He's just drinking a bottle. Remember in the, the Disney um, animated Pinocchio where Geppetto had all those different type of, uh, cuckoo, type of clocks and stuff like that? That's kind of what this reminds me of. One foreshadowing I see is a picture of a large, of a clock against a gray brick building and a guy hanging from it. I now, I know, I thought there was like a silent, was it a silent film? Was it where there's a guy hanging from like a clock? And they're hanging on for dear life. Um, but this is foreshadowing for later when we see Doc Brown hanging from the clock tower. Oh, it's the cat clock. Like from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Jeremy and I, when we had first um, moved into our first apartment, not here, but when we lived in Michigan, I had gotten one of those wall clocks that did have the little pendulum swing that said regulator on it. Eventually, it the clock broke, or the thing on it broke, and it was just, or it just wasn't telling time like it would even when putting in a fresh battery. Not only does he have a cat clock, a black cat clock, he has a olive green owl clock and a gray metal poodle clock with a, a clock it's like shaped like a, a poodle dog but it's gray and it has you know a clock in its stomach and it's just so cute so many clocks all right so we do see some framed newspaper clippings we do see hill valley 
Let's see, it says Brown Estate sold to developers. Also says Brown Mansion destroyed, but I can't really tell the date of it. I mean, it looks like maybe it could be August 6th, 1962, but also see framed pictures of what looks like, ben I'm guessing that's Benjamin Franklin. I don't know that other man and what may be Albert Einstein. There's a Burger King literally right up the road from where Marty lives. So clearly you can tell it's like leftover wrappers and Burger King cups. So a JVC uh, camcorder there as well. Uh, yeah, the new the TV comes on and there's a mention of a research facility that is denying a rumor that there's a case of missing plutonium. Stolen from their vault two weeks prior. Hmm. So I guess there's a libertar libertarian uh, group that had allegedly admitted to the theft, but then sh the news reporter says, like, no, the research facility's just coming back and saying, oh, it's a cler clerical error. It just, it's on us. We messed up. Uh, a toaster that's got blackened toast, a coffee machine that goes off and there's no pot to put the coffee in, so it's just hitting that, uh, that spot that the coffee pot would go, which I can't see how that would be good either. It just seems like this, this place is just going to go up in flames. I mean, that toaster keeps putting, like, on its own, burnt toast back into the the toaster and then it keeps popping it back up I'm like and it's smoking by the way oh fire hazards and yeah he doc brown even has a contraption a machine that opens dog food for einstein and apparently he hasn't been around in a while because if that thing's doing that daily that dog dish is literally just Spilling over. It's already like all over the side. Yeah, it just it looks so gross. And of course you see um milk bone dog biscuits in the corner there right by Einstein's dog dish. And I'm just thinking how back in the eighties everything the packaging on almost everything was very it was basic looking, it was ge very generic looking, where now it seems like packaging, like, in the 90s, or in the 2000s, and even now, it's like, packaging is just, it's got to grab your attention, it's got to be colorful, it's got to be in your face, poof, like, buy me, buy me, buy me, type of packaging. It's got to grab your attention. So, no, none of this basic 80s generic packaging. If they do anything like that nowadays, it's they're trying to be retro. Like, hey, remember this? Remember when these, uh... <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, like with the Golden Grams. Like, bring back, like, retro Golden Grams cereal. Bring back that honey taste from the 80s that, I guess, eventually they stopped doing with the cereal. So, we hear Marty before we actually see him. We only see him from, like, the knees down. 
because he's got his skateboard, his backpack, and he's calling for Doc. He's calling for Einstein. He sees the overflowing dog bowl and just like, oh, gross. And then we see the skateboard with the backpack on top rolling to where the cot bed is set up and we see that yellow suitcase looking container with plutonium handle with care radioactive so i'm guessing marty must come here on the reg to hang out and stuff because he's got his guitar and he's making all these uh, adjustments to this giant amplifier because he's like turning all these like dials and hitting all these switches. Then he takes the pick and hits the string on his guitar. And the moment he does, because he's standing in front of this big amp and the, this big speaker amp and just <clears throat> thing just explodes and just shoots him across the room. This speaker is bigger than Marty is tall. I mean, we know Michael J. Fox is, what's he like, 5'4", maybe 5'3"? He's not very tall. He's actually maybe an inch or two, and I'm 5'2". So, yeah. I love how when he holds the pickup to the light, the light kind of glances off of it. And it's like, of course he's going to get uh, his blown off his ass. Like, he's going to be knocked off his feet. <laughs> it throws him all the way across the room where he lands in, I'm guessing that's a couch? It's a poorly constructed shelf that had stuff on it. Tilts forward and just drops all of its contents onto Marty. How he doesn't have a concussion, I'll never know. Yeah, he blew in a huge hole right in that speaker. And how his glasses, his sunglasses are intact is just beyond my realm of understanding. Of course, he's so impressed with it. He's like, rock and roll. So the alarm bell goes off and Marty grabs the phone. Turns out it's Doc asking him to meet him at the Twin Pines Mall at 1.15. It's like, hey, can you meet me tonight at 1.15? I made a major breakthrough and I'm going to need your assistance. So, and you can tell that Doc is whispering into the phone. It's like, uh, and Marty's like, what, 1.15 in the morning? Are you sure? Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> where have you been all week? And Doc just says, oh, I've been working. And Marty's like, well, is Einstein with you? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right here. Yeah, and Marty tells Doc, it's like, Doc, you left your equipment on all week while you were gone. Oh, we see a jukebox in there, too. Oh, my gosh. He, this place is like, it's, I don't think, is it a house? Because we only see it from this one level. But there's just so much stuff here. Oh, and uh, Doc says, oh, that reminds me, you might not want to hook up to the amplifier because there's a slight overload. Oh, there's a slight possibility of overload. So the clocks all go off saying it's 8 o'clock. And Doc's like, oh, is that my experiment that I hear? Great. The clocks all went off at 8. That means they're running exactly 25 minutes slow. And Marty's like, wait, what? Are you telling me it's 8.25? Shit, I'm late for school. So he hangs up the phone. He's like, I got, he peels out of there ASAP. 
seriously, I gotta get my ass to school. Yo! Marty, is that you? Hey! Hey, Doc! Where are you? at least the number on the place is 1646 okay I don't know if whether that's uh, relevant or not so yeah that place is literally right next to the Burger King there's also a Toys R Us sign there too which R.I.P. Toys R Us does not exist anymore yeah because Marty's on a skateboard and he hitches a ride on the back of a Ford truck I wonder I'm I'm curious how many people attempted to do that after seeing this movie in 1985. Okay, hold on. So that in 1955, that's the hangout. That's the restaurant that all the teens hang out in. And there it looks like it's like an aerobic studio. So apparently this place just couldn't cut it down the road in over... 30 years, so it became an aerobic studio in 1985. Now he hitched a ride on a Jeep, and the guy's wearing a Mountain Dew hat. And he turns around. Oh, okay, so that's where... That's the theater later, when he's walking through 1955. Which looks like it, it says, Jesus saves. There's a cross on... It says, Jesus saves. And then it has a sign that says, Salvation is free. It looks like it's possibly a church because it says on the marquee above it it says town and then next to it there's a building that says elmo's so i i don't think it has anything to do with sesame street of course re-elect mayor goldie wilson so in 30 years Gordy Wilson will go from being someone who's just sweeping the floors at that restaurant turned aerobics center to wanting to be reelected as mayor. All right, now we're headed to Hill Valley High School. There is like this high school went downhill big time. There's all this graffiti like all over the beneath the windows of the first floor and it just looks like hot garbage so marty gets off his skateboard and he starts going up the stairs but his girlfriend jennifer kind of meets him outside and says no don't go that way marty strickland's looking for you we got to head around the back way tells him if you get caught it'll be four tardies in a row 
So, yeah, she's kind of ducking around the corner, like, okay, checking to see if the coast is clear. Like, all right, come on, come on, come on. And Marty's like, well, look, it's not my fault, all right? Doc set all his clocks 25 minutes slow. So, yeah. And Strickland, what his deal is, Mr. Bowtie, with a, a whistle around his neck. Because he goes and grabs Marty by his coat uh, shoulder. And it's like, because Marty was telling Jennifer about, you know, Doc McFly. Doc McFly, <laughs> Doc, and it's, how the heck does Strickland know about you know Doc? So yeah, he's like, "Am I hearing this correctly, Mister McFly? That you're still hanging out with Doctor Emmett Brown? Why does it matter? That ain't your business, sir. It's 1985. Did principals really care that?" Teenagers were hanging out with full-fledged adults in their spare time. Because he ends up giving a tardy slip to Jennifer and then one to Marty, which makes four in a row. And it's like, so what, does he even get detention or what's going on? But no, he's going to give him some advice to stay away from Dr. Doc Brown. Like, dude, that ain't your business, Okay. Oh, getting that graffiti off your school, the outside of the school. Yeah, he's he's really laying it to Doc Brown saying, oh, he's dangerous. He's a nutcase. You shouldn't be hanging out with him. Like, dude, that's not your business. <laughs> yeah, he says, you hang around with him, you're going to end up in trouble. Well, good for Marty then. Let him, if he wants to do that, then let him do it. Doc Brown, he's not a pervert or anything like that. He's He's a smart man. Marty is just all, oh, yes, sir. Like, yeah, okay. Whatever you say. And then the guy, like, puts his finger in Marty's face like, you got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. Your father was a slacker. This guy does not even know what the definition of slacker is because he's been using that for 30 years. I think the definition of slackers lost a little bit of its luster in 30 years. But, I, I mean, I think, like, slacker seems like it would be more defined for that of, you know, the 80s than in the 50s. Yeah, he says, you remind me of your father when he went here. He was a slacker, too. No, his father was a nerd. Well, no, that is kind of harsh. Maybe not a nerd. He just, he was, I don't know, how would you call George McFly? I mean... He wasn't popular, at least that, that we know of him, he really wasn't, at least this version of him. That's not a slacker. That's someone who's uh, doing their own thing. A slacker is someone who doesn't put effort into their work and just like, you know, they slack off. They don't put effort into their work. They hand in assignments late, those kind of people. Yeah, he said, well, I noticed that you're banned. Yeah, Marty's like, look, Mr. Strickland, can I go? Are we done here? He's like, all right. So he starts to walk off with Jennifer, and then Strickland grabs Marty again. He's like, I see your band is on the roster for uh, the school dance. Why even bother McFly? Then he says, no McFly ever amounted to anything in the whole time that Hill Valley existed. You don't have a chance. Why even bother? You're too much like your old man. 
We haven't even met Marty's dad. But, I mean, and just judge by this, if you've never seen the movie before, you're going to think, like, oh, well, he's kind of like like Marty with the attitude and whatnot like that. It's like, no, he is anything but like Marty. He's not like Marty at all. He says, no McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. How would you know, sir? And I like how, like, they're practically nose-to-nose, Marty and Strickland. And I like how Marty's eyes get big and says, yeah, well, history is going to change. Like, oh, we know that's true. Oh, Jennifer. Marty, don't go this way. Strickland's looking for you. If you get caught, it'll be four tardies in a row. This has got bars on the door, bars? All right, come on. I think we're safe. You know, this time it wasn't my fault. The doc said all his clock's 25 minutes slow. Where the hell did he come from? I might understand you're still hanging around with Dr. Emmett Brown McFly. Party stuff for you, Miss Parker. And one for you, McFly. I believe that makes four in a row. Now, let me give you nickels with a free advice, young man. This so-called Dr. Brown is dangerous. He's a real nutcase. You hang around with him, you're going to end up in big trouble. Oh, yes, sir. You've got a real attitude problem, McFly. You're a slacker. You remind me of your father when he went here. He was a slacker, too. Can I go now, Mr. Strickland? I notice your band is on the roster for the dance auditions after school today. Why even bother, McFly? You don't have a chance. You're too much like your own man. No McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. You get out of my face. Yeah, well, history is going to change. Fun little trivia. Yeah, Power of Love by Huey Lewis. He is the one that is going to be in charge of these seeing these band overseeing these band auditions marty's band of course is called the pinheads and they're playing the power of love song where huey lewis's character just finally cuts him off and says guys i look you're this is not gonna work out you're just got too gosh darn loud because they're like playing like power of love like instrumental but they're like metal like like heavy metal ish just electric guitar just they're loud and uh, this is a dance man you don't when you're not dancing that this isn't headbanger music it's you're slow dancing music you're listening to a wild wild west i mean well this is 1985 this song probably didn't come out yet did it come out wild wild let me let me not that song from the will smith movie not that one yeah i guess this song came out in 88 so it was like three years later but um yeah the people that are like the four adults that are sitting in a row in folding chairs they look like they're flat out from the 50s they uh, they look like marty's parents age Jennifer is just, oh, she is loving her boyfriend right now. Like, oh, my boyfriend, the rocker. He's so hot. And we do see, like, other bands that are waiting to go on. Like, this one that's got, like, a big dang drum set and guitars and uh, looks like a cu- like a lady. Yeah, three ladies. Um, and we got, a like, a duo here, unless they're with the three ladies, but I, I think they're two separate groups. Okay, this guy looks... Okay, we got three adults. The one sitting next to Huey Lewis, 
looks like someone who's probably like on the student bot like a student body president and he's just kind of overseeing this because he is nowhere he is like a high school student this one and then the rest are like adults i don't know whether they're teachers or some form of faculty or something to that effect <laughs> Huey Lewis's character like looks to like the student body president sitting next to him and then this other lady that they just have blank expressions on their face like am I the only one like listening to this like am I the only one that seems to have a problem with this music <laughs> are you gonna give me feedback or what or I'm gonna do this okay he just looks at them like okay I'm getting nothing here let me okay guys that's enough yep you got it got it you're done you're done you're just too gosh darn loud, guys. I'm sorry. This isn't gonna work. Thinking of the two groups that are going after him, like, they're gonna be any better. They all have similar guitars. They all have drums. They all look like they play the same type of music. You may as well just play, like, some tapes or some, or CDs, or just... Yeah, have someone like that just playing like music just here let me put on a cd or hey let me put in this mixtape that i came up with that has not like because <laughs> i'm sure any music that's going to be played is either going to be from a set list or it's got to be like school approved songs that don't have sex in them or or bad words or any of that stuff hey look there's a good one industries how about that and Marty is walking with Jennifer after school and just like, oh, can you believe it? They said I was too loud. And Marty's like, oh, I'm never going to get the chance to play in front of anybody. And Jennifer is trying to be supportive. Like, Marty, look, one rejection is not the end of the world, okay? You're going to be fine. And, and he pretty much wants to throw in the towel. Like, oh, I guess maybe I'm just not cut out for music. And she's like, Marty, you're good. Seriously, like, really, really good. And doesn't she have his, like, audition tape or demo tape or something like you need to give these to some music execs they need to hear it we need to put your sound into the world marty so and she she's even quoting doc like it's like doc always says she's like yeah i get it you put your mind to it you can accomplish anything and these two ladies from the aerobics center walk past and marty it's like dude your girl is right there and you're checking out those ladies asses Dude, you need to, uh, yeah. I love how she takes his face and turns it around to face her. Like, hey, the only ass you need to be looking at is mine. <laughs> yeah, and he's like all these what-if scenarios. Like, okay, what if I send in the tape? What if they say, get out of here, kid. You're no good. What if they, you stink. You suck. You're not good at all. Get out of here. And he's like, I, I just, I don't think I can stand that kind of rejection, which we're going to get that from his dad later, spoiler alert, yeah, that he and his dad are honestly not that different when you put them next to each other. So we see a couple ladies at a card table set up for save the clock tower signs all about saving the clock tower and yeah a typical 80s lady with the tinted glasses i hate those i hate them i hate them i hate them so so much so yeah it's like hey marty hey at least your dad's letting you borrow the car right so of course as soon as she says that marty has got this sweet sweet just heart eyes for the toyota 
What's this say? Uh, custom four by yeah. He's like, check out that four by four truck. That it's got. What? I don't even know what these things are, but I used to see them on trucks a lot. They're like the little like headlight thingies on the back, and then they got like the little um, the little. What the hell is it called? I can't tell what that is. But it's in the back. It's like these bars that like have like big like spotlight things up against the back of the the uh, cab of the truck. And then I don't know what the hell they are. I think they're like it's like support beams or something for like if you want to like hang out and like stand up while the truck is moving and you're in the back or some weird dangerous shit like that. Yeah, he's like, oh, someday. He's like thinking of in the future, like someday. I mean, one day we're gonna, I'm gonna get that truck, and you and me, we're going up to the lake, and we are just gonna have a time, girl. We are gonna have a time, you and me together, in the back of that truck. <laughs> yeah, he is just, and I'm thinking, he's 16, 17 years old. This is him being like, I'm gonna sail away in this truck. I'm gonna make some memories in this truck. And then you, when I'm like 25 and married and gonna have kids, I'll trade him for a station wagon. <laughs> this is, it's, it's 1985. It's not like those trucks you see now that have an extended cab where they have like, it's four doors, like the two main doors. And then you have like that back seat. Yeah, it's not like that. Boy, man, your hormones are showing there, Marty. He's like, throw a couple sleeping bags in the back of that truck. Oh, it's going to be so nice. Is that the kind that's got the back, like, it's got, like, the ridges or whatever? You're going to want an air mattress on that thing, because even with sleeping bags, you're going to feel those hard ridges in your back. No sleeping bag is going <laughs> to make those ridges feel any better. <laughs> I'm telling you. I wouldn't know personally, but yeah. So, yeah, even she's like, oh, Marty, your hormones are showing. Because he's, like, trying to fill her up in public, practically. He has to, like, take his hand and, like, move it. Like, stop it. And then she looks at him like, does your mom know that we're going up to the lake tomorrow night? He's like, are you kidding me? No. My mom thinks I'm going camping with the guys. And he says, you know, my mom would freak out if she knew I was going up there with you. I mean, then I get the standard lecture about how when she was my age, she didn't do things like that. Yeah, we're going to learn some things about Lorraine later. Oh, are we? She ain't. She was not all that buttoned up and, and prissy. Oh, no, 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 no. She had a wild side. Marty Evans like, look, I, I think the woman was born a nun. Well, that's what she wants you to think. And I love how Jennifer, like, touches his chin and says, well, she's just trying to keep you respectable. And he puts an arm around her and says, well, she's not doing a very good job. And they go to kiss. And then this lady, Miss Save the Clock Tower, has one of those, like, metal cans that you, like, drop coins into. And she's shaking it. Save the Clock Tower! Save the Clock Tower! It's like, lady, back off. Personal space. We are. My God. Save the clock tower. Save the clock tower. Mayor Wilson is sponsoring an initiative to replace that clock. 30 years ago, lightning struck that clock tower and the clock hasn't run since. 
We at the Hill Valley Preservation Society think it should be preserved exactly the way it is, as part of our history and heritage. There you go, lady. There's a quarter. Thank you. Don't forget to take a flyer. Right. Save the clock tower! Where were we? Right about here. Jennifer! It's my dad. Right. I've got to go. I'll call you tonight. Uh, I'll be at my grandma's. Here, let me give you the number. So yeah, the lady is all like, save the clock tower, save the clock tower, and then she says 30 years ago lightning struck the clock and it hasn't rung since, and I guess the Preservation Society wants to keep the clock as it is, like, we don't want to fix it, let's preserve this in, in history, I mean, it's just, so... <laughs> Marty drops a quarter. Like, here, lady, here's a quarter. Like, go have yourself a time. So, this is my support. Move on. <laughs> so, of course, Jennifer's father comes to pick her up. And he's like, hey. Marty's like, hey, I'll call you later, all right? And she's like, and then she runs back. She's like, oh, well, I'll be at my grandma's. Let me write the number down for you. And I like how she wrote, I love you, exclamation point, And then 555-4823. Oh, so and, and it's just funny. I mean, this is 1985. We didn't have cell phones then to be able to like, let me put your digits into my phone. Let me put my phone number into your phone or something like that. <laughs> just amazing how times have changed. There's a porno theater that's playing orgy American style, unless that's two separate movies. And it says open 24 hours. Ew. It also says all shows $5 and then it says XXX rated. Gross. Marty has got some serious balls. He's actually got his hands hooked under the bumper of a police car. Uh, what? What? Granted, he's like ducked down and everything where they can't see. And then we see him. It's I don't know how long it took him to get to home, but uh, it's already getting dark out. And then he like speed, he rides off on a skateboard after letting go of the bumper of this truck. And he lives in Lyon, L Y O N, Lyon Estates, which also has graffiti on it. Oh my gosh. They make it look like in 30 years, Hill Valley just went to utter pot. Like it went to shit. Just with this graffiti and trash and everything. So yeah, isn't this just wonderful? Marty's plans pretty much go up in smoke because he sees a tow truck backing the family car into the driveway. And it looks like the hood is all smashed up. What the hell happened? And he's like, that's just great. That's just great. And then as he gets in the house, we hear his dad and Biff are, well, mainly Biff arguing and Biff is all like well I can't believe you'd loan me your car without telling me it had a blind spot uh dumbass most cars do have blind spots when you're looking to uh like get into the next lane you check over your shoulder you're checking your blind spot so that you make sure no one's coming up on your ass I mean side mirrors in your rear view mirror are only gonna give you so much 
And even and 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 George is like, well, I mean, Biff, I I, I didn't think that it, it had a blind spot when I when I drove it. And then he's all like, well, I mean, Biff, you think your your insurance will take care of this, right? And Biff is like, what the hell are you talking about? My insurance? It's your fucking car. Your insurance is going to pay for it. I want to know who is going to pay for my dry cleaning bill. I spear bill. I spear, spill beer all over myself. <laughs> yeah, so he's basically drinking and driving. That's wonderful. Wonderful. And Bill, Bill, Biff is getting a little bit, come on, man. He's like, I, I, I could have been killed. I could have been killed. Dude, I don't think so. You're fine. You don't even look like you're injured in any real serious way. Yeah, and Biff's all like, what are you, blind, McFly? It's there. How do you explain that wreck out there? And we see a black and white photo that is, like, sitting on, um, next to this jar of, like, jelly beans. This glass jar of jelly beans. And it looks like maybe that could be... Lorraine and her parents. It's like a black and white photo. It's kind of a little bit out of focus, but I'm guessing that's who that might they might be. See, it's all these little things that I'm noticing now for the first time, even though I've seen this movie a bunch of times. George even, he, he he's so nervous about it. He's like, no, no, Biff, I mean, can I assume your insurance is going to pay for the damage? And Biff is like, excuse me, my insurance? It's your car. Your insurance is going to pay for it. Yeah, he says, I spilled beer all over my the bottom of my blazer here when that car smashed into me. Oh, 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 the car smashed into you, into you, did it, Biff? Are you sure it's not the other way around? Let's ask the other driver, shall we? Wait a minute. The hood is, like, smushed upward like he basically rear-ended someone's ass. How is he not getting sued? So, how in the hell these two ended up working together, I'll never understand. Because now Biff's like, hey, did you finish those reports? And George tells Biff, like, oh, well, I mean, I figured since they weren't doing so. And Biff grabs George by the tie and then yanks him forward, and then he's, like, knocking on his head, like, Hello? Hello? Anyone home? Think, McFly. Think. I have to have time to get these retyped. Do you know what would happen if I handed in those reports in your handwriting? I'd get fired. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? <laughs> like, oh, no, no, Beth. <laughs> hey, George is just a spineless wimp. He's got no backbone. Like, and Marty is watching this like my dad. It's it's like he's got this. My dad is pathetic. My dad is a loser. He's getting basically like getting his ass handed to him by what? And we learn that Biff is George's supervisor. Where do they work? I mean, we we know Biff ain't all that bright. Where, the, how did he get a job? He piggyback off of George's, because George is smart. He's a smart man. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So basically, George is doing 
Biff's work, just like we're going to learn he's doing 30 years earlier. So nothing really has changed. George is still on the bottom of the food chain. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he's just such a... Ah, oh, he's giving me Urkel vibes, I swear. George. <laughs> he's like, oh, look, I'll, uh, I'll finish those reports on up tonight and I'll, I'll run them over to you first thing tomorrow. And of course, Biff's like, well, not too early, okay? I sleep in on Saturdays, so yeah. And he's helping himself to the, those jelly beans. <laughs> joke 30 years later. Like, oh, pfft, hey, <laughs> McFly, look, your shoe's untied. And of course, George falls for it. And he's like, he's done the whole little, pfft, like, hit you in the nose kind of thing. Like, pfft, don't be so gullible, McFly. <sighs> like, dude. And <laughs> George is all like, <laughs> oh, you. Oh, you, Biff. Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know if I could stand it if I had a parent that was that gullible and just a wimp, <laughs> spineless. Just, dude, you need a backbone. I can see where Marty definitely draws that insecurity from his dad, 100%. McFly, you got you got the place fixed up real nice. Olive green appliance. <laughs> and then he he just helps himself to like jelly beans and I was going into their fridge like I tow your car have your car towed home and the only thing you got for me is light beer. <sighs> Marty is just hanging there and that's when Biff finally notices him and he's just kinda like <laughs> What are you looking at, butthead? Like, what is this, the Wonder Years? <laughs> like, dude, he's got no respect for George, no respect for his kids. It's like, hey, butthead, move. Get out of my way. Oh, and it's so great. Yeah, because you'd think he, what, he's going to say something. Well, we know Biff is not going to say anything nice to Marty. But he just kind of looks at him like, what are you looking at, butthead? And then he says... And Marty just stands, he doesn't say anything. And then Biff says, say hi to your mom for me. Like, ew, no, gross. I can't believe you loaned me your car without telling me it had a blind spot. I could have been killed. Now, now Biff, now, I never noticed that uh, the car had any blind spot before when I would drive it. Hi, son. But what are you, blind, McFly? It's there. How else do you explain that wreck out there? Now, Biff, um, can I can I assume that your uh, insurance is going to pay for the damage? Well, my insurance? It's your car. Your insurance should pay for it. I, I want to know who's going to pay for this. I spilled beer all over when that car smashed into me. Who's going to pay my cleaning bill? Uh, and uh, where's my reports? Uh, well, I haven't finished those up yet, but, you know, I, I figured since they were due to... Hello? <laughs> Hello? Anybody home? Oh, <laughs> Think, McFly. Think. I gotta have time yeah. to get them retyped. Yeah. Uh, do you realize what would happen if I handed my reports in your handwriting? I'll get fired. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Would you? Oh, of course not, Biff. Now I wouldn't want that to happen. Now look, I'll uh, finish those reports on up tonight, and I'll run them on over first thing tomorrow. All right? And not too early. I sleep in Saturday. Oh, McFly, your shoes untied. Oh. <laughs> Don't be so gullible, McFly. Got the place fixed up nice, though, McFly. Uh, yeah. 
I have your car towed all the way to your house, and all you got for me is light beer? Budweiser in the door. What are you looking at, butthead? Say hi to your mom for me. Biff leaves, and then here comes George saying, oh, son, I, I, I know what you're going to say, and uh, you're right, you're right, but, you know, uh, Biff is my supervisor, and I, uh, I just can't, I'm not good at confrontations. Who is? Who? Nobody wants a confrontation. People, I go out of my way to avoid them at all costs. 100%. Yeah, and he's, Marty's like, but, like, like, I don't care about that. Like, get the, the car, though. I mean, look, he, he wrecked it. He totaled it. He's like, I needed that car tonight, Dad. I needed that car tonight. It's like, you let me down. You let me down. I know what you're gonna say, son. And you're right. <laughs> you're right. But, uh, Biff just happens to be my supervisor, and I'm afraid I'm just not very good at confrontations. The car, Dad. I mean, he wrecked it. He totaled it. I needed that car in the morning, Dad. I mean, do you have any idea how important this was to me? Do you have any clue? I know, and all I can say is I'm, I'm sorry. Believe me. Dad, I needed that car tomorrow night. I mean, I had the phone. I mean, Marty was probably, like, he was planning this for weeks. Weeks! And all done. All gone. Just, yeah. How, how is, uh, um, how is George getting to work? Is he going to have to carpool with Biff now? Oh, boy. So... Yeah, it's just, I mean, you feel for Marty. It's like, ugh, it really sucks. And all his dad can just utter is like, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, I, it, it's out of my hands. I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. And his dad is just loading up on that peanut brittle. And his, it's just the greed, the oil in his hair and just the, the 50s glasses, the, uh, the pocket protector, the pen protector. So, and he's like saying like, you know, oh, Marty, you don't want to worry about the aggravation and the, the headaches of playing at that school dance. And it looks like both, I'm guessing both um, Marty's siblings, um, what the heck are their names? We'll learn them in a second. David and uh, Linda. Looks like, because it looks like their pictures are uh, there of them having, you know, graduated. Because you see them in their cap and gowns. Um, are they twins? Or are they just one's older than the other? I, I don't know. Uh, Marty is sitting at the table drinking a Diet Pepsi one calorie. And you can, like, David is like the spitting image of... George, like, when it comes more, not so much looks as just mannerisms. And you can tell, like, he does work at Burger King. <laughs> Which is literally, like, up the road from where they live. 
And both David and George just love, love, love old honeymooner honeymooners reruns. Just they're laughing their butts off. We also, yeah, let's let's look at some of the other things. We even saw like on the wall. There's a. It looked like it could have been George and Lorraine's wedding picture, along with some other older black and white pictures. There's a sewing. I don't know whether that's something that Linda does. Uh, there's a sewing machine there. There's that bird that's probably dead. Um, it's just there for looks. <laughs> um, let's see. What else? Um, there's a game of life. There's... Looks like another candy dish on top of that TV. Oh, oh, here we go. Here's, here's Marty's mom. Oh my goodness. Oh, you poor lady. <laughs> oh, she is not well off. Because she's got a, you know, a regular, you know, sheet cake that is got um, a picture of an open jail cell. Like, and we already see she's hitting the sauce. She's been hitting the sauce hard. She's... She's let herself go, and of course, one of my most, I don't like, I, you guys, if you, you listen to the Full House podcast, Full House podcast, you know how I feel about turtlenecks. I don't like them, and she is wearing one. Yeah, she's like, oh, kids, we're gonna have to eat this cake by ourselves. Oh, your Uncle Joey didn't make bail, he didn't make parole again. What the hell did he do? Welcome home, Uncle Joey. And there is a jail cell. <laughs> Someone put some work into this. They put a open jail cell with the door hanging open and then a, oh, a bird. Oh, yeah, because Marty says Uncle Jailbird Joey. <laughs> I think it'd be nice if y'all dropped him a line. I'd be like, no, thank you. No. Yeah, it's like, and David's like, well, look, he's your brother, Mom. And even Linda's like, yeah, I think it's a major embarrassment having an uncle who's in prison. Yeah, not in jail, in prison. And he didn't make parole. What in the hell did this man do? What did he do? There's even a Bud Light. No, wait, is that Bud Light or Bud what? Hold on. It is a, uh, <laughs> it's a Bud Light. Okay, so... Lorraine, you can tell, oh, she's, yeah, she got that bottle of pop-off in the background, that big, big bottle, like, yeah, someone who drinks on the regular, that ain't no pint, that ain't no pint, so, and then she, she wants to start a lecture, we all make mistakes in life, children, and David's like, yeah, I'm late, I gotta go, and of course, Lorraine's like, David, watch your mouth, and come here and kiss your mother goodbye. He's like, oh, mom, I'm late. Okay, oh, goodbye. And then he, <laughs> David kisses uh, George on top of the head. Like, ooh, pop, time to change that oil. <laughs> and George is like, this guy. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Miss his bus? Where is the, it, it, that's not, he works at the Burger King, right? Or is he working at McDonald's? I can't tell. Where, someplace he's working. I thought it's it's a fast food place. It sounded like he worked at the Burger King. I don't I don't know. And he says, "Ooh, time to change that oil, Pop." I don't know. Where he came from. I don't know either. 
You guys have some corny dad humor that n no one will ever understand. I mean, Marty, you're better off without having to worry about all the aggravation and headaches of playing a dad dance. Absolutely right, Marty. The last thing you need is headaches. We're gonna have to eat this cake by ourselves. Your Uncle Joey didn't make parole again. What did he do? I think it would be nice if you all dropped him a line. Uncle Jailbird Joey? He's your brother, Mom. Yeah, I think it's a major embarrassment having an uncle in prison. We all make mistakes in life, children. God damn it, I'm late. David, watch your mouth. And come here and kiss your mother before you go. Come here. Come on, Mom, make it fast. I missed my bus. See you later, Pop. Woo! Come on, time to change that oil. Hey, Marty. So, Linda tells Marty, like, look, I'm not your answering service, all right? But while you're outside pouting over the car, your girlfriend, Jennifer, called you, like, two times. He wasn't even out there that long. What'd you call, like, once and then, like, two minutes later? Oh, is Marty there? He's not? Oh, okay. I'll call later. Right away, Lorraine is just, oh, I don't like her, Marty. Any girl that calls up a boy is just, she's asking for trouble. Yeah, and even Linda kind of sticks up for Marty. Like, Mom, I don't think there's anything wrong with calling a boy. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and Lorraine's like, oh, I think it's terrible. Girls chasing boys. Real, well, we're going to learn some stuff about Lorraine, like I said. Oh, are we definitely are. Yeah, she's like, when I was your age, I never chased a boy or called a boy or sat in a parked car with a boy. And even, Linda's like, well, Mom, how am I supposed to ever meet anybody? And, and I love how Lorraine is just so like, oh, honey, it'll just happen. You know, the way I met your father. And then she goes on to talk about how she and George got together. What was it, George? It was bird watching, right? That's what you were doing in the trees? Like, yeah, and the kids, they've all heard this story before of how this. And he is not even listening to her. He is, like, too wrapped up in the Honeymooners reruns. He's like, what, Lorraine? What? Like, they, they, okay, they are 30 years old, so they're like, if they're 17 and then you fast forward 30 years later, they're like edging towards 50. They sound like they're in their f fucking 70s. They honestly look like, they sound like they're, they're losing their, their hearing, they're just like, and, and Lorraine is just, she's clinging with both hands death gripping those early years of her and George. Like she is just so put off by what her life has become that she can't stand it. She is just sucking back that pop off. But saying about how, you know, it'll just happen like the way I met your father. And Linda says, that was so stupid. Dad hit him with a car. And she's like, what What was it, George? Bird watching? And he finally is like, what, Lorraine? What? 
It's like he just realized she was there. And we see her pouring herself another refill of pop-off in one of those tall uh, glasses. And it's like, lady, I mean, and this is like one of those big bottles of pop-off. Like, she's just going back for another refill. I mean, she's like, oh my gosh. Her life must suck. She, oh, she's clinging with death grip to those early days. Oh, I love how the phone books are stacked under that phone. <laughs> Back when we had phone books <laughs> and you had to look up names of people in the phone book or business. Yeah, phone books were a lot fatter. They were humongous. They were big. <laughs> but now it's like a phone book comes in the mail. It's like, I don't have no landline no more. Get this shit out of my face. <laughs> in the trash it goes. <laughs> I don't need no phone book. If I need to look something up, I got the internet. I got it on my phone. So she recants the tale of, oh, your grandfather hit him with a car. And then he brought him into the house. He was so helpless, like a little lost puppy. My heart just went out to him. Yeah, and Linda is just over it. She's like, yeah, Mom, we know. You've told the story like a million times. Even George does not seem interested in hearing it. <laughs> or Marty, for that matter. Now he's still uh, depressed over the car. He'll cry about, cry about it later when he's in his room trying to fall asleep. Because, you know, he's got to get up before 1 in the morning to go meet Doc at the mall. At 1.15. Uh, she's like, yeah, Mom, we get it. You felt sorry for him. That's why you decided to go with him to the fish under the sea dance. And I love how Lorraine corrects Linda. And says, no, no, no. It was the en enchantment under the sea dance. Get it right, Linda. You'll be telling the story to your grandchildren one day. Or to your own children. Yeah, and she's just, oh my, she is like, her mind in her cell is like back there in 1955. She's like, oh, it was our first date. And it was the night of that terrible thunderstorm. Do you remember, George? He is not having any part of this. She is the only one that is into this story. She is like, just like that. Yeah, she is clinging to the these memories. Like, these were the best years of my life. And then this happened. <laughs> he's, he's looking at the TV like he'd rather be focused on the television than on what his wife is recanting. Oh, and she, I love how Lorraine is just kind of playing with the back of hair like, your father <laughs> kissed me for the first time on that dance floor. She is there, ladies and gents. She is there. She is. She is. Oh, my goodness. Her hormones are definitely showing. And here it's like she speaks this with such sadness that she says, it was then that I realized I was going to spend the rest of my life with him. Like, and the way she just, she sounds like she is literally so dead inside when she sees, like, just this example of, of George, who George is now. Like, oh, your father was so hot. So hot back then. Oh, my gosh. The sex that we had was so great. 
I can't remember the last time your father ever touched me recently, but um, yeah, the sex was really amazing back then. <laughs> it's like, oh, you feel bad for her. It's like, oh, yeah, she's cuddling that bottle, though, the bottle of pop-off and clinging to those those golden years. Step, sweet 17. And she's just like, real. I think the kids kind of realize it, too. Like, oh, God. Please don't let this be us. Linda, promise me right now, we we are not going to be our parents. Please. This can't be our future. Okay, so who's sucking down the Bud Light? That's clearly not Linda. That's also got to be Lorraine's also. So she's sucking down her pop-off and that can of Bud Light? Oh my god, she is a full-blown alcoholic. She is an alky holly. Damn. I just... It does break for her. It, it, it does a little bit. Just like. See you later, Pop. I'm at your answering service while you're outside pouting over the car. Jennifer Parker called you twice. I don't like her, Marty. Any girl who calls up a boy is just asking for trouble. There's nothing wrong with calling a boy. It's terrible. Girls chasing boys. When I was your age, I never chased a boy or called a boy or sat in a parked car with a boy. Then how am I supposed to ever meet anybody? Well, it'll just happen. Like the way I met your father. That was so stupid. Grandpa hit him with the car. It was meant to be. Anyway, if Grandpa hadn't hit him, then none of you would have been born. Yeah, well... I still don't understand what Dad was doing in the middle of the street. What was it, George? Bird watching? What, Lori? What? Anyway, your grandpa hit him with the car and brought him into the house. He seemed so helpless. Like a little lost puppy. And my heart just went out to him. Yeah, Mom, we know. You've told us this story a million times. You felt sorry for him, so you decided to go with him to the fish under the sea dance. No, no, it was the enchantment under the sea dance. Our first date. I'll never forget it. It was the night of that terrible thunderstorm, remember, George? My father kissed me for the very first time on that dance floor. No. And it was then that I realized that I was going to spend the rest of my life with him. So y'all, y'all listen to that, right? You listen to that stuff because uh, that stuff's coming back. You get those key words, those key elements. Gotta pay attention. So, Marty is chilling. He's asleep. He looks like a chicken. I don't know. The way that he's got, like, his arm, like, kind of positioned behind his back. But it's, like, 12.28 in the morning. Oh, he's got a Diet Pepsi Free that's just sitting on his, uh, his headboard. He's got, like, one arm bent behind him. And then he was, like, laying on the other arm or something. Like, I don't know what was going on. But the phone rings, and of course, it's Doc asking, like, hey, Marty, where you at? I told you, like, 1.15. Get your ass over here. Thank you. So, yeah, Doc's like, yeah, Marty, you didn't forget, right? You didn't fall asleep. Like, oh, no, Doc, no. I, I've been up for hours, honestly. 
he's like, yeah, well, look, I forgot my video camera. Can you, like, stop by my place and grab that on your way over? Awesome sauce. Thank you. Twin Pines Mall, 1.15 a.m. We see a van. This isn't a van. It's more of a, a large white truck that says Doc Brown Enterprises on it. And we see the dog Einstein. Oh, there's a JCPenney there. I also see a little photo hut in the parking lot. So this is so cool, seeing the DeLorean being revealed, you know, backing out of this big truck, this big vehicle. And I like how the license plate says, out of time. I think that's really, really cool. And of course, here we meet Doc in the flesh. Doc! You made it! Yeah! Welcome to my latest experiment. This is a big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life. Ah, uh, well, it's a DeLorean, right? Bear with me, Marty. All your questions will be answered. Roll yeah. tape. Okay, we'll proceed. Ah, uh, Doc. Uh, is that a Devo? Never mind that now. Never mind that right. now. Not now. Not now. All right, I'm ready. Good evening. I'm Dr. Emmett Brown. I'm standing on the parking lot at Twin Pines Mall. It's Saturday morning, October 26, 1985, 1.18 a.m. And this is temporal experiment number one. Doc gets out of the DeLorean and tells Marty, like, this is the big one. This is the, my big experiment that I've been working on. This, he's been waiting for his entire life. For at least 30 years, he's been focused on this. So, and Marty's like, it's a DeLorean, right? And Doc's like, well, roll, roll the tape, get the tape rolling, the camcorder going. So, and I will answer every question you have. And he just kind of explains to him, and he actually shows him via the dog Einstein putting a stopwatch around Einstein's neck, putting him in the DeLorean. And then, of course, we get this famous line of when this thing gets going up to 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. And, of course, yeah, because it's done by remote control and you see the numbers, you know, the miles clocking, and when it gets to 88 miles per hour, just boom, it's like the car goes and you see the flames, like, where the tire, where the vehicle was, just poof, it just poofs out of existence. And Doc is just like, what is just screaming at Marty, what did I tell you? And he's jumping up and down 88 miles per hour. So it's basically, he's showing Marty, like, it, it worked. And then when um, the DeLorean comes back with Einstein in it, he shows Marty, because Doc also has a stopwatch. It's like, I sent Einstein one minute into the future. And then he shows that, you know, the stopwatches are both, like, Einstein's is, is a minute off. So, yeah, just proving that time travel is possible. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Calm down, Marty. I didn't disintegrate anything. 
The molecular structure of both Einstein and the car are completely intact. Where the hell are they? The appropriate question is, when the hell are they? You see, Einstein has just become the world's first time traveler. I sent him into the future. One minute into the future, to be exact. And precisely, 1.21 a.m. in zero seconds, we shall catch up with him at the time machine. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? The way I see it, if you're gonna build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Besides, the stainless steel construction made the flux dispersal... Look out! <laughs> he's concerned the trip was instantaneous that's why his watch is exactly one minute behind mine he skipped over that minute to instantly arrive at this moment in time come here i'll show you how it works first you turn the time circuits on <laughs> this readout tells you where you're going this one tells you where you are this one tells you where you were you input your destination time on this keypad say you want to see the sign of the declaration of independence Or witness the birth of Christ? Here's a red letter date in the history of science. November 5th, 1955. Yes, of course, November 5th, 1955. <laughs> wow, I don't get what happened. <laughs> that was the day I invented time travel. I remember it vividly. I was standing on the edge of my toilet, hanging a clock. The porcelain was wet. I slipped, hit my head on the edge of the sink. And when I came to, I had a revelation, a vision, a picture in my head, a picture of this. This is what makes time travel possible. The flux capacitor. Flux capacitor? It's taken me almost 30 years of my entire family fortune to realize the vision of that day. My God, has it been that long? So, yeah, Doc is showing Marty, like, the different points of time that he can go back to, like, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, or when Christ was was born, when uh, Jesus was born. Um, also, he also puts in, as he calls it, a red-letter day, November 5th, and when he's saying, Doc is saying it, he, he kind of stops, like, he's thinking back, like, oh, November 5th, 1955. Oh, yeah, he says that was the day that he realized that time travel was possible when he discovered that because he was hanging a clock, like, I don't know whether it was, like, above his toilet or something, and he slipped and hit the sink, and then he when he came to, because he had a concussion, he came to, he had a revelation of what made time travel possible was the flux capacitor, the 1.21 gigawatts. <laughs> yeah, when he says November 5th, 1955, he says that was the day I invented time travel. Yeah, the flux capacitor 
Doc says it's taken him almost 30 years and pretty much all of his family's fortune to create this. So everything that Doc is saying, that um, everything that's changed in 30 years since <laughs> 1955 to 1985, he says, this mall was not here, of course, 30 years ago. It was complete, it was farmland, as far as the eye could see. And he mentions Old Man Peabody. He, old Man Peabody had this idea of wanting to breed pine trees. So this stuff that Doc is saying is all going to be relevant. And luckily, Marty is filming all of this. Yeah. Marty's like, wow, Doc, this is heavy. This is heavy duty. I mean, does this stuff run on, like, what, gasoline? And Doc says, no. It runs on plutonium. And Marty just can't believe plutonium. Yeah, it turns out Doc had taken it from the Libertarians, or Libyans, or however, um, and given them... They wanted Doc to make them a bomb, and he constructed one out of, like, old pinball parts, pinball machine parts or something. So, Marty thinks, like, the time machine is nuclear, and Doc says, no, it's electrical, but I need that nuclear power for that, to get that 121 gigawatts going. Okay, Libyan National, uh, okay, gotcha, not Libertarian, oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, and he also gives Marty a radiation shoot suit. It's like, yeah, if you're going to work around plutonium, you got to have one of these things on. But Doc's got a plan. He's going to go 25 years into the future. So if it's 1985, let's see here. 1985 plus 25, you're looking at 2010. So, yeah. And... <laughs> Doc also says, I'll be able to see who wins the next 25 World Series. Uh, yeah, Doc, Doc's got his uh, cotton underwear because he says he's allergic to all synthetic underwear. And I don't know what kind of underwear they got in the future. And Marty's like, Doc, look me up in the future, right? In 25 years. So, yeah, he's getting ready to go into the future. And then he realizes, I need to bring extra pl plutonium because... I need to be able to get back because I guess it's one thing of plutonium for each trip you take. And Einstein starts barking and Doc's like, what is it, boy? Yeah, it's this van, this old VW van that is full of the, uh, the men that uh, Doc gave that uh, those... Uh, faulty pinball machine parts to make that bomb and he's like oh shit they found me I don't know how but they found me and he's telling Marty you need to run for cover and these guys got a gun and they they shoot Doc and it's like oh my god I just it, this movie has just got going and Marty's like I gotta get out of here so he jumps into the uh, the DeLorean, and mind you, I already had the date set up that that Doc had put in November fifth, nineteen fifty five. So since that was the last date entered, that's where Marty is going to go. Now, right now, it's October twenty sixth, nineteen eighty five, and he's going back to November fifth, nineteen fifty five. So yeah, he hits eighty eight miles per hour, and boom, he is transported to nineteen fifty five, just like Doc said 
complete farmland <laughs> as far as the eye can see. Marty ends up hitting a scarecrow and then zooming right into someone's barn, which of course a light turns on in the house. Like there's no way they didn't hear that. So of course, Mr. Peabody and his wife, their kids look like they're like 10 and 12. And I'm just like, these look like grandparents to uh, whatever. But, uh, and the, his wife is like, what is it? What is it? He's like, it looks like an airplane with wings. I says, it looks like an airplane without wings. I'm like, well, it's 1955. I'm sure there were airplanes then. And the son, who's got a comic book that says Tales from Outer Space, I'm like, that ain't no airplane. Look at this. That's a flying saucer. It doesn't look a damn thing like the DeLorean. But since they don't have anything else to compare to, it's like, well, okay. Your guess is as good as mine, son. And we see a guy that looks like he's in a radiation suit or something. Yeah, and he's like pointing a gun at some human like some mind control device. And then here comes Marty in that yellow radiation suit. And of course, what else are they going to think? I mean, that's all they got to go on is based on this picture that the kid is showing them. It's like he's wearing a hazmat suit because he's breathing like he's Darth Vader. So Marty gets out of the DeLorean, which I wouldn't be doing that. And he goes to apologize. Of course, he's going to get shot at. He's like, oh, sorry about your barn. Because here comes old man Peabody with a shotgun. And the kid's like, it's already mutated into mutant form. Shoot it. So Marty, of course, has no choice but to get back into the DeLorean and, DeLorean and start it back up again. So, yeah. Because he ran over that one pine, the Twin Pines is, oh, it says Twin Pines Ranch. And it says beware of, beware of dog. Oh my gosh. And it looks like it's morning time because it looks like it's, uh, no, the, the sun is starting to, it's like it's uh, dawn, pre-dawn light. So Marty slams on his brakes because he sees Lion Estates where he technically lives the only thing is it's be just now being built in 1955 it's not gonna have homes on it yet for a bit they're like just clearing the land you know at this moment it still looks like it's like farmland and it's all grassy there's there's no houses on it yet there's not even concrete poured or anything no foundations no yeah, none of that. Marty, of course, before he even got that, he's like starting to like, is this just, it's just a really intense dream? That's all. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be home in my bed. It's like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, you're in the right city just 30 years earlier. Yeah, there's a billboard that says, live in the home of tomorrow today. Lion Estates, groundbreaking this winter. So they're not even going to start breaking ground until winter. It's November, so, yeah. Marty, what? He's still dressed in that radiation suit, and he goes over to this car, like, oh my gosh, you gotta help me. And this old lady and her husband, she's like, honey, don't stop, just keep going. Don't stop. So Marty gets back in the DeLorean, and right before the power goes out of a... a 
uh, it says November 5th, 1955. Yeah, it says destination time, November 5th, 1955 a.m. And then it says November 5th, 1955 present time a.m. Right before it winks out. And of course, he's getting the warning light on the plutonium chamber because it says empty. It's like, oh, I hope he brought some extra plutonium. <laughs> Otherwise, he is majorly screwed. So, Marty pretty much has no choice but to wheel that DeLorean back behind that sign so nobody will see it. And Hill Valley is two miles away. So, Marty is just entered town, and he's seen a sign for the theater that is showing a movie with Ronald Reagan and Barbara Stanwyck that is, I guess, seats are only 50 cents. Oh, the movie Cattle Queen of Montana with Barbara Stanwyck and Ronald Reagan. Oh, and it says they have, it's air-conditioned. The Essex Movie Theater. Marty is just walking around this town in a daze. It's like, dude, you need to watch where you're walking because definitely his clothes are not of that of 1955. He's wearing a red, puffy, sleeveless jacket, which, of course, I'm sure from 1955 standards looks like a life preserver, according to Biff's goons. He's wearing jeans, and he's wearing his jean jacket, and it's just like, dude, get your ass out of the road. So even in 1955, there's that Ask Mr. Foster travel service, which in 1985 that still existed. And, uh, in, uh, yeah, 1985 it was still there, and the, unless it was just an empty building, but it's up and running in 1955. Even a full-service Texaco station with service attendants that are checking oil, filling the gas tank, wiping down the windows, wiping the windshield, just all of it. And they're all just standing there as still as soldiers just waiting for a customer to roll up. Really? 19 cents a gallon, huh? That ain't horrible. That's... Dang, that's good. Yeah, they're even putting gas, they're uh, putting air in the tires, they're checking the oil, they're doing it all. Like that, when they mean full service, they mean it's like 19 and a half cents a gallon. Oh, it says price war. I don't know what that's about. And Marty sees the uh, outside of record store, says, Just arrived, the ballad of Davy Crockett, 16 tons, and many more. Is that supposed to be the RCA dog in 1955? We got, let's see, Unforgettable by uh, Nat King Cole. We got Patty Page in the Land of Hi-Fi. There's, uh, what's that say, Alvy in Dixieland? Oh, the world's smallest radio. The world's greatest music. Those look like the coolest things. They're like little mini pogo sticks that are meant to go on the bottom of your shoes. That is so cool. But yeah, there's, you know, cops just strolling around and he just kind of glances back at Marty. Marty is just, he is so obvious right now. Not just based on his clothes, but the way that he is walking around like he has, you know, basically no idea where he is. And it's like, Normally, that's something that probably back then would get you, uh, a cop would, like, ask, like, hey, are you lost? Can I help you? 
What's going on? You don't look like you're... Basically, you'd probably say, you don't look like you're from around here. I'd be like, yeah, you're not kidding about that. <laughs> there is the clock tower. It is currently 8.30 in the morning. <laughs> and there is a thing there that says Korean conflict. So I'm guessing that had to do with, like, um, those that were lost during the Korean War. There's a little mini, mini green tank right next to it. Yeah, and we see the town sign. It says, Welcome to Hill Valley. A nice place to live. Please drive carefully. Let's see. Future farmers. So FFA, Hill Valley, JC's Welcome, Kiwanis International, Rotary International. Hill Valley Chamber of Commerce, YMCA, Optimist International, Campfire Girls. Basically every organization that that town has. I don't know what PH or PH Grange? Or is that Grange? That might be Grange. Oh yeah, at that time in 1955, you're re-electing Red Thomas. Progress is his middle name. Isn't the say that the same saying that Gordy Wilson goes in on in 1985? Re-elect Mayor Gordy Wilson. Progress is his middle name. Yeah, just saying it means more jobs, more education, better education, bigger civic improvements, and lower taxes. I'm calling bullshit on that bottom one, that last one. You don't have control over taxes. So, oh, someone throws a newspaper into a trash can by Marty, and as soon as the guy walks away, he pulls it out, and he reads close up, he reads the date, Saturday, November 5th, 1955. He still is not seeing this as reality, he's like, this is, this has got to be a dream, this cannot be real. So he sees a public telephone in the, the, uh, restaurant shop thing. It also says ice cold drinks, milk, lemonade, sodas, and iced tea are only t 10 cents. Oh, yeah, that's where the, um, the aerobics studio was. Let's see, coffee, sandwiches, sodas, ice cream, malts, sundaes, and burgers. Oh, and a fountain service, too. Oh, speaking of Davy Crockett, here we go. We got Davy Crockett on the... Oh, there's even a coat rack and there's a magazine holder for magazines. Uh, that is an amazing jukebox. That looks like just the one in Uncle Jesse's bedroom. It's got the, the liquid, you know, light, you know, lit up and everything and the liquid in it. That is so cool. Yeah, coffee. Five cents. Alright, so of course the guy Lou running the show behind the counter there at the uh, the restaurant, whatever you want to call it. He, of course, he's gonna notice that uh, Marty's there. It's like well, not every day some kid comes in wearing jeans and a a a down sleeveless button up, you know, vest jacket, sleeveless jacket. Well, even this guy here, Lou, is like, what's the matter, kid? You jump ship? And Marty's looking up like, wait, what? What are you talking The guy's like, what's with the life preserver? It's like, yeah, so he's not the only one that's going to think that's a life preserver. So Marty's like, well, I, I just need to use the phone. Can I 
The guy's like, yeah, sure, it's in the back. So he goes through the phone number, er, and he finds it in the telephone book. It says Emmett L. Brown, scientist. It actually lists scientist. It's 1640 Riverside Drive. It's like a little closet that he's in, like a little telephone booth. And Marty, of course, is his little, um, his calculator watch is beeping. And the guy's walking past, and Marty is, like, trying to, like, hide it, like, behind the back of his neck. Because the guy's, like, looking at him, like, what's up with this dude? Like, who is this kid? Like, I know kids that come in here, and this guy, I've never seen him before. He's looking at Marty like... What a weirdo. So, Marty, of course, there ain't going to be no answering machine in 1955. And, of course, Doc isn't there because isn't it the day that he, he's probably dealing with a concussion. He's probably knocked out cold at that time. And the guy keeps, like, looking in Marty's direction. It's like, yeah, you're raising some red flags there, man. He rips out the page in the... Telephone books, like, man, I don't think you can do that. That's like public property. Hey, kid, what'd you do? Jump ship? What? Well, what's with the life preserver? <clears throat> I just want to use the phone. Yeah, it's in the back. the page out in front of him the guy doesn't even call him out like what the hell did you rip that out of my phone book because like, hey do you know where 1640 riverside and the guy's like are you gonna order something or not kid like normally it's like i ha i tell my customers they gotta get something in order to use the phone so again marty is thinking with his 1985 brain it's like yeah give me Give me a tab. Like, what he's probably used to drinking in 1985. And the guy looks at him like, you want a tab, you have to order something. And Marty's like, well, alright, how about a Pepsi free? Which is basically a Diet Pepsi. And the guy's like, you want a Pepsi, you're gonna have to pay for that. And he's like, oh, just give me something without any, with caffeine in it. Something without any sugar. And the guy's like, alright, here you go. Here's a cup of coffee for you. Because you want a Pepsi, pal, you're going to pay for it. I'm not giving it to you for free. Ask, does Marty even have... Okay, he does have some change on him. Okay. And wouldn't you know it, look who's sitting right all next to him. Marty sits down right next to his old man and doesn't realize it, but you can tell they are father and son with the same mannerisms, just the, the hand on the back of the... The net kind of thing, just like Ugh. okay. So here comes we hear a hey McFly, and here comes Biff, teenage Biff. Doesn't look like he he he, he doesn't look as uh he weighs as much as he does in 
30 years. So Billy Zane actually is the one with the toothpick in the mouth. He's not the one with the 3D glasses. But we got three cronies here with Biff that tend to do his dirty work. Or his hype men, I guess, if you want to even call them that. Or his, his goons. Yeah, and Marty's like, Biff, like, just realizing, like, yeah. You take away 30 years, he ain't that different, really. Sounds the same, pretty much looks the same. You subtract like 20, 30 pounds. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's like, uh, Biff is just, he is not, he's not changed. He has not changed. It's like, I'm talking, McFly, you Irish bug. <sighs> Biff is such a dick. Yeah, and it looks like uh, it's the same relationship with George and, and Biff as <laughs> George is doing Biff's homework. It's like, hey, look, you got my homework? Yeah, and George's like, oh, hi, guys, how you doing? Like, ay, ay, ay. Yeah, and, and the same thing is like, yeah, you got my homework finished, McF finished McFly? And George like, well, I mean, I actually figured since it wasn't until Monday, I, you know. And of course... Biff, same old thing, grabbing him by his shirt collar and like, look, McFly, think about it. No, he grabs George's head, bends it down, is basically pounding on it. Like, hello, hello, anybody home? Think, McFly. He's like, I gotta have time to recopy it. You realize what would happen if I handed in my homework with your handwriting? I get kicked out of school. Yeah, he's like, you wouldn't want that to happen, would ya? Would you? And then, of course, <laughs> Marty is just sitting there like a bump on a log. And that's when Biff finally notices him. He's that thing. He's like, he finally notices Marty. He's like, what are you looking at, butthead? And we got some guy with some fingerless black gloves, like... That looks straight out of the 80s. I don't know. Maybe they had fingerless gloves in 55. Yeah, and the guy, the guy with the fingerless gloves is all like, Hey, Biff, get a load of this life preserver. <laughs> Dork thinks he's going to drown. It's like, all right, McFly. So what about my homework? And George says, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll finish it up on tonight and I'll, I'll, I'll bring it over to you first thing in the morning. And it's like, no, 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 not too early, though. I sleep in on Saturdays. And he does the whole, hey, McFly, your shoe's untied, and just smacks him in the face, like, ah, don't be so gullible, McFly. And then he's like, I don't want to see you in here again. Like, what the heck? Oh, man. Oh, yeah, he says, well, not too early. I sleep in, sleep in on Sundays. Oh, that's right, because it's Saturdays. Saturday, November 5th. Okay. <laughs> He's like, hey, look, your shoe's untied, and just whack him right in the side of the... <laughs> Good grief. Yeah, right before he's like, don't be so gullible, McFly. I don't want to see you in here again. And um, George is like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, yeah. Like, ah, oh, he's such a yes man. It's sad. It's sad. It really is sad. You know where 1640 Riverside... Are you going to order something, kid? Uh, yeah. Give me, give me a tab. Tab? I can't give you a tab unless you order something. All right, give me a Pepsi free. You want a Pepsi, pal? You're going to pay for it. Yeah, so just give me something without any sugar in it, okay? Something without sugar. 
think you're doing? Piff. Hey, I'm talking to you, McFly, you Irish bug. Oh, hey, Biff. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Yeah, you got my homework finished, McFly? Uh, well, actually, I figured since it wasn't due till Monday. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think, McFly. Think. I gotta have time to recopy it. You realize what would happen if I hand in my homework and your handwriting? I'll get kicked out of school. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Would you? Well, now, of course not. No, I wouldn't no. want that to happen. What are you looking at, butthead? Hey, Biff, get all of this guy's life preserved. Dork thinks he's gonna drown. Yeah. So, uh, how about my homework, McFly? Uh, okay, Biff. Well, I'll, uh, I'll finish that on up tonight, and then I'll, uh, bring it over first thing tomorrow morning. You're not too early. I sleep in Sundays. Oh, mm -hmm. McFly, your shoes untied. Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> don't be so gullible, McFly. Okay. I don't want to see you in here okay. again. Okay. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> and, yeah, Biff and his goons leave, and then Marty is just jaw on the floor. He cannot believe, like, this is his dad as a 17-year-old. And he's sitting right next to his dad, and it's like... <sighs> I mean, anybody who looked at them with both kind of like the hand on the back of the neck kind of thing would be like, are you two related? Because you look related. You look like you could be related. And, you know, George is, he's sitting there, you know, chomping on his cereal. And the way that Marty, Marty is just like bug-eyed just looking at George. And George finally, I mean, it just looks like he's kind of off in his own world. But finally, he, he sets his spoon down and is like, what? <laughs> like, what are you looking at? And Marty can barely, you're, you're George McFly. George is like, yeah, who are you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's not like Marty was planning to go back to 1955. It just, you know, it, it happened because that's what the DeLorean was set to and everything like that. And it's just like, ay, 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 ay. Of course, Goldie Wilson, who at the time is just, he's wiping down corn, uh, counters in this restaurant, sweeping floors. And he's got that like George, like what do you what do you let those bigger kids what do you let those guys boss you around for? What's your deal, man? You need to stand up for yourself. And and George is excuse like, well, they're bigger than me. I said, and even Goldie was like, well, have some respect for yourself. Yeah, and the fact that he's just saying, hey, you think that. Yeah, just don't, like, have some respect for yourself. You let people walk all over, over you now? That's just a pattern that's going to keep repeating itself. And we do see it. We see it in 1985. That he is just allowing Biff to just walk all over him. I don't know how the heck they ended up at the same uh, place of employment. But, um, yeah. And he's even saying, you think I'm, uh, Goldie Wilson is like, you think I'm going to be staying at this slop house? Heck no, I'm going to make something of myself. And this is where Marty just... Lucky this doesn't uh, backfire. Because he's like, yeah, yeah, he's going to be mayor. Uh, Marty, <laughs> what the heck? How long is the term for a mayor anywhere? anyway? Is that four years, six years? I don't know. <laughs> oh, sir, I'm going to make something. Yeah, 
when Lou says, hey, watch it, Goldie, don't talk about my restaurant, like, calling it a slop house. And that's where it kicks in, like, oh, yeah, this is the mayor who wants to be reelected in 1985. Yeah, he's saying, yeah, Goldie Wilson's saying how he's going to night school, one day he's going to be somebody, and then Marty's like, yeah, he's going to be mayor! And, of course... <laughs> oh, but, and, and to see the state of that town in 1985, it's like, Goldie Wilson, what did you do? <laughs> what happened? Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I could be mayor. And, of course, Lou's like, yeah, Lou says, yeah, a colored mayor. Uh-huh, that'll be the day. Like, and Goldie Wilson is like, no, no, you watch. You watch. I'm going to be mayor one day and I'm going to clean up this town. And Lou gives him a broom and says, alright, start with the floors. Carruthers. That's his last... Why does that name sound familiar? I swear I... Oh, Mrs. Carruthers. Yes, from uh, Full House. Yep. <laughs> He's, he, Goldie wasn't saying, I'm going to be the most powerful mayor in Hill Valley. Yeah, and Goldie Wilson just, he, he's like, ah, Mayor Goldie Wilson. I like the sound of that. And, of course, this whole time, George has just left, and Marty's just now, like, realizing it. His dad's riding a bike with a bell on it. And Marty runs out there, Dad, I, I mean George. Oh, no. <laughs> he's doing it all wrong. Ah. <sighs> What? You're George McFly. Yeah, who are you? Say, what do you let those boys push you around like that for? Well, they're bigger than me. Stand tall, boy. Have some respect for yourself. Don't you know if you let people walk over you now, they'll be walking over you for the rest of your life. Look at me. You think I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this slop house? Watch it, Goldie. No, sir. I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to night school, and one day I'm going to be somebody. That's right. He's going to be mayor. Yeah, I'm going to... Now that's a good idea. I could run for mayor. A colored mayor, that'll be the day. You wait and see, Mr. Carruthers. I will be mayor. I'll be the most powerful man in Hill Valley, and I'm going to clean up this town. Good. You can start by sweeping the floor. Mayor Goldie Wilson. What the sound of that? Marty does catch up with George, sees his bike leaning against a tree, and George is up on a tree limb watching Lorraine undress. She's undressing in front of an open window, bra, panties, and I'm just like, are you serious? Even in 1955, like, have some modesty. I get it's your own, your bedroom and whatnot, but it's like, it's a clear day. Anyone who's anyone who's walking pa down that street, past that house, they look up, they're seeing you in your bra and panties changing. Come on. Yeah. So, and clearly this is a regular thing because we find out George is not the first <laughs> person to be sneaking a peek. Because when 
Yeah, Marty's like, oh my gosh, he's a peeping Tom. My dad is a peeping Tom. Because he doesn't know that that's his mom that George is peeping at. So, George gets <laughs> distracted. And, uh, yeah, he falls out of that tree, lands in the middle of the street, almost gets hit by Lorraine's dad. Luckily, Marty pushes him on the out of the way, so now Marty is the one that gets hit by the vehicle. And, yeah, he of course, he, uh, the car, like, basically pushes him, and Marty ends up landing on his back, hitting his head on the pavement. So, of course, now he's out cold. And Lorraine's dad is like, hey, Stella, help me get this boy into the house. One of these kids jumped in front of my car again. Hmm. Why don't you look just up to the bedroom window on the second floor and see why. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so now instead of... Th so everything is pretty much predestined. It's already... The, everything that Lorraine talked about is, in fact, happening. Everything lines up. You know, George falls out of the tree, gets hit by a car, and winds up in the house. That's how he and Lorraine meet. But now, since Marty intervened, now Marty is in George's place. So, this makes sense that everything that was going to happen with Lorraine and George... Now, Marty's kind of stepped in and kind of changed that path. So, when Marty finally does come to, he's in a dark bedroom. So, of course, he probably thinks this whole thing was a dream. It didn't happen. He's back home in his bed. And he wakes up and he sees, like, this shadow so that he knows there's someone else in the room. So, he thinks, you know, it's... His mom, like his mom from 1985. Yeah, so of course he can't really tell the difference between his mom's voice from 1985 and 1955. Just, you know, that's his mom's voice. And she's got like a cold compress on his head. And she's like, take it easy. It's okay. Relax. You've been out for over nine hours. Oh, yeah, and then he starts mumbling about, you know, he had this bad dream about how he went back in time. Jay, well, don't worry, you're safe now. Back in good old 1955. And immediately his eyes blink open. He's like, 1955? And the light clicks on, and yeah, he's face to face with his 17 year old mom in 1955. And he's like, huh? And of course, realizing that his pants are off which is weird. he's lying in her bed in her room under the cover and realizes he ain't wearing no pants he's just in his calvin klein underwear which is exactly why she assumes that his name is calvin yeah and he's looking at her like you're my mom you're my mom and she and she says my name is lorraine lorraine it sounds like she says Bates, but it says her name is Baines. It just sounds like there's a T instead of an I. So he's trying to come up with it like you're so, uh, uh, I thought he was going to say young, like you're so young, but he's like, you're so uh, thin. I, I, I don't know why I thought he was going to say you're so hot. I mean, no, he was not going to say that.
He immediately starts calling him Calvin. Like, just relax, Calvin. You have a big bruise on your head. So when he pulls the covers back, he realizes he's not wearing any pants. I'd be like, what? Why are my pants? I'd be like, why are my pants off? Where? What happened to my pants? And he even asked, like, well, where are my pants? And she's like, oh, there are my whole chest. And she starts, yeah, just, I've never seen purple underwear before, Calvin. And sure, but he's like, why, why do you keep calling me that? Yeah, he's like, why do you keep calling me Calvin? And she's like, well, that's your name, right? It's written all over your underwear. And she goes, like, she's got to touch the band of his underwear that says Calvin Klein. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't think he'd be cool with his... 1985 mom doing that let alone his 17 year old 1955 version of his mom either like please don't she is love struck oh my gosh she is like clutching like her hands like oh maybe they call you cal like okay girl no they need to think about it lorraine she's never had a boy in her room before this is probably the closest that other than school this is the closest most personal that she's ever spent with any boy before. So, of course, you know she's going to relish this. Yeah, he don't look like any other boy she's ever seen before. I mean, look at his clothes. How many of them boys you see wearing jeans? Not many. 55, it looked like they are all wearing, like, slacks. So, yeah, he finally does say, you know, actually, people call me uh, Marty. And she says, oh, pleased to meet you. Calvin, I mean Marty, and she sits right next to him. Oh my, uh, awkward, awkward. Oh, she could not be any closer to him. She's like sit all up on him. Like, I mean, just proximity. There's no way she is even a foot away from him on that bed. She's like, oh, do you, do you mind if I uh, sit here? <laughs> my gosh. He's really trying to get away from her on that bed. He keeps scooching backwards. And she's like, oh, look at that bruise on your head. Of course, he falls out of the bed. And that alerts Lorraine's mother, Marty's grandma. Oh, I notice in Lorraine's room, she's got all these, like, 8x10 pictures of, like, movie stars and singers. Yeah, because Lorraine's mom was like, Lorraine, are you up there? And she, like, jumps off that bed. And it was like, oh, my gosh, put your pants back on and throws his pants to him. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's like she's got two beds in that room. And that room is large enough that it does even have an armchair and a space to put your makeup on and all that stuff. Imagine that he probably does have a concussion and he probably is dizzy. He's been out for nine hours. Yeah, he's gonna attempt to stand up and put his pants on. <laughs> Mom, is that you? You're there now. Just relax. You've been asleep for almost nine hours now. nightmare. Dream that I went back in time. It was terrible. Well, safe and sound now, back in good old 1955. 1955? <laughs> You're my mom. You're my mom. My name is Lorraine. 
rain beads? Yeah. But you, uh, you're so, uh, you're so thin. Just relax, Calvin. You've got a big bruise on your head. Where are my pants? Over there. On my hope chest. I've never seen purple underwear before, Calvin. Calvin, why, why do you keep calling me Calvin? Well, that is your name, isn't it? Calvin Klein? It's written all over your underwear. Ah. Oh, I guess they call you Cal. Huh? No, actually, people call me Marty. Oh. Pleased to meet you, Calvin. Marty? Klein? Do you mind if I sit here? No, fine. No, good. Fine. Good. That's a, a big bruise you have there. Lorraine's mom and she definitely looks like she's pregnant again <laughs> and she asked him how long have you been in port Marty and he of course is thinking port what do you everyone thinks that that like sleeveless vest jacket is a life preserver I figured you're a sailor because you wear that life preserver that thing ain't keeping anyone above water if they go into... Yeah. Uh, Sam? And he says something about the Coast Guard. Like, uh-huh. I'm your grandson from 1985. You'll see me in 1985. Are his parents... Her parents even alive in 1985? I don't know. So, yes, yeah, Sam is Lorraine's father, Stella's husband, Marty's grandpa. Like, honey, here's a boy you hit with your car. He's alive. Thank God. And then he's like, what the hell were you doing in the middle of the road? And, of course, Lorraine's mom is just like, don't, don't pay any attention to him. He's Because he's playing with that new TV set that they just picked up. She's like, quit fiddling with that thing and come to dinner i love how she just chops it up to you know don't pay any attention to him marty he is in just one of his moods all right we have a handful of children we got milton we got sally we got lorraine we got another kid that's sitting next to lorraine bobby or something toby okay uh so we got milton and sally and Toby and little baby Joey in a playpen. And she's like, oh, well, we never take him out of there because he just screams his head off, so we leave him in there. He, he's so happy. And I love how Marty's like, ah, oh, so you're my Uncle Joey. You better get used to these bars, kid. <laughs> I mean, so basically, if that's the case, and that's 30 years in the future, that means, like, his uncle is 31 like 31 or 32 in 1985 so yeah they pretty much Marty has to stay for dinner like well I hope you like meatloaf Marty and 
Lorraine pulls the chair out and practically forces Marty into it. Like, here, Marty, sit next to me. Oh, yeah, he's got the TV on a rolling cart so they can all watch television while they eat and they don't have to talk to each other. Yay! <laughs> oh, yeah, so we see who likes the Miller Lite in the family, old Sam. I wonder what Lorraine gets her, yeah. We see who the drink. Well, of course, mom can't be drinking because she's pregnant for their sixth kid. So, yeah, she says, yeah, this is her first television. You know, dad just picked it up today and they're just so excited. Like, oh, we can watch Jackie Gleason while we eat. <laughs> and she looks at Marty like, oh, do you, do you have a television set? And Marty, again, he's not checking himself, man. It's like. It's like, yeah, um, I mean, you know we have three of them. <laughs> and of course, Milton's like, wow, you must be rich. Three TVs. And the fact that the way that he's like, yeah, don't we have three of them? <laughs> like, this is not your mom. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, he says, yeah, you know we have two of them. And the kids' eyes just literally bug out. Milton and Sally's like, wow, two TVs, you must be rich. Because I can only imagine how much that TV costs. And, of course, <laughs> Stella says, oh, honey, he's just teasing you. Nobody has two TVs. No one has two television sets. Like, I can't even fathom why would anyone need two of them. Because they come in different sizes. This, this is the same Honeymooners, like, uh, Jackie Gleason episode, whatever it is, from 1985, when they're sitting around dinner. I think this is the same one. And then Marty's like, hey, hey, I've seen this. This is a classic. I'm like, dude. Even Milton calls him out, like, what do you mean you've seen this? It's brand new. As in, yeah, let me look at that, that Honeymooner show when that got started. It came out in 1955, as in, like, he's right, like, it's brand new. This show, like, just started this year. Like, it birthed itself with the invention of television. Yeah, spoiler alert! He's like, yeah, I've seen this one. This is the one where Ralph dresses up like the man from space. And they just, Milton and Sally both are just looking at Marty like, what planet are you from? Like, this is brand new. Never been watched. First time airing, and you say you've seen it. And yeah, and he's like, well, I mean, I saw it on a rerun. And they look at him like, well, what's a, a rerun? <laughs> and Marty's like, ah, uh, you'll find out later. <laughs> much, much later. So, yeah, Stella, she's got the prize. Lorraine's mom. She the way that she looks at Marty, she's just got her hand to her, like, you know, Marty, you look so familiar. Do I know your mother? And the way that Marty turns and looks at Lorraine, like, I, I you might. <laughs> so clearly he doesn't just look like George, like there are resemblances of Lorraine there too. Oh yeah. There's a reason why he looks familiar. He really shouldn't have said, oh, I think you, maybe you do. Like, mm, eh, 
I would have come up with a... She's like, well, then I want to call her and make sure she doesn't worry. And he's says, well, I mean, you can't do that. I mean, because no, nobody's home. And then they're like, well, maybe you should st spend the night. I mean, since your parents aren't home. You know, I think you should spend the night. You know, it's your... It's, I think you're our responsibility, you know. Yeah, and even Lauren's like, well, I mean, Dad did run him over with a car, so... He says nobody's home yet. As in, yeah, as in my parents don't, aren't my parents yet. They, that hasn't happened. None of that's happened yet. Marty pulls out the telephone book page that he ripped out and he asks where uh, Riverside Drive is. And his future grandfather says, well, it's a, what do you say, a block past Maple? And then Marty said, yeah, that's John F. Kennedy Drive. And the way that he looks at Marty, he's like, who the hell is John F. Kennedy? <laughs> it's 1955. Six, 1963 hasn't happened yet. Lorraine is the one that suggests that Marty stayed the night. Oh, of course. Of course she does. And then she's like, well, I mean, Dad almost killed him with a car. Yeah, and she's like, you know, that that's true, Marty. You know, I I think you should spend the night after all. I mean, you're our responsibility. Oh, <laughs> shoot. Uh, so many slip-ups. So, so many slip -ups. Someone should, I mean, if you're, okay, if, I mean, if this were a planned thing, you would want to be well-versed in, um, yeah, like that, that book, 112263, by Stephen King, the one where um, the character goes back and tries to stop the assassination of JFK. And he has to kind of learn about, you know, what people are like in 1955. You know, not just what they wear, the lingo that they used, all, you know, how their hair is cut, like all of that stuff. And yeah, I actually saw the. Um, the Hulu miniseries that they did. I thought it was good. I mean, I definitely got to read the book, but I just, I love anything with time travel. It just, ah, it's, especially when you're traveling like way like 1955 or the 60s or something like that. Because, I mean, think about it. If you were in Marty's position, what are the odds that you're not going to slip up somehow and reveal something that hasn't happened yet? Yeah. I mean, you could be just, and all it takes is one time, one little slip of something. And Marty's like, I, I don't know about that. And Lorraine, who says, oh, we can sleep in my room. And the way that she is like gripping just above his knee. And Marty can't get out of that chair fast enough. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, he immediately he jumps out of that chair like if his butt was on fire. Like, I, I, I gotta go. I, I gotta go. Yeah, he's like, thanks for very much. for. I mean, it was all great. Just great, great, great. <laughs> he says, see y'all later. Uh, much, much later. <laughs> <laughs> and when Marty shuts the door, Stella is just like, he's a very strange young man. Well, he's not from 1955, that's why. Of course, 
like <laughs> Lorraine's dad is like he's an idiot comes from upbringing his parents are probably idiots too Lorraine if you ever have a son like that I will disown you <laughs> yeah he says Lorraine you ever have a kid who acts like that I'll disown you <laughs> she is too 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 in love So, all right, so simple math here. We got 1985, subtract, like, what? Marty's probably 17 years old, 16, 17. So that means he would have had to have been born in 1968 or 1969. So let's say, like, David is probably two years older. So let's subtract two more years. Um, 1966. So you're talking 11 years. So... That means if George and Lorraine are 17, add 11 more years, they're each going to be like 28 when they have their first kid. So tell me, Marty, how long have you been in port? Excuse me? Oh, I guessed you're a sailor, aren't you? That's why you wear that life preserver. Well, I'll co-start. Sam, here's the young man you hit with your car out there. He's all right, thank God. What were you doing in the middle of the street, a kid your age? Don't pay any attention to him. He's in one of his moods. Sam, you'll quit fiddling with that thing coming here to dinner. Now, let's see. You already know the rain. This is Milton. This is Sally. That's Toby. And over there in the playpen is little baby Joey. So you're my Uncle Joey. Better get used to these bars, kid. What? Yes, Joey just loves being in his playpen. He cries whenever we take him out, so we just leave him in there all the time. Well, Marty, I hope you like meatloaf. Well, listen, I was really... Sit here, Marty. Sam, stop fiddling with that thing and come in here and eat your dinner. Oh, oh, oh! Look at it roll! Now we can watch Jackie Gleason while we eat. And no coffee today. Our first television set. Dad just picked it up today. Do you have a television? Oh, yeah, you know, we have two of them. Wow. You must be rich. Oh, honey, he's teasing you. Nobody has two television sets. <laughs> hey. Hey, I've seen this one. I've seen this one. This is a classic. This is uh, where Ralph dresses up as a man from space. What do you mean you've seen this? It's brand new. Yeah, well, I saw it on a rerun. It's a rerun? You'll find out. You know, Marty, you look so familiar to me. Do I know your mother? Yeah, I think maybe you do. <laughs> oh, well, then I want to give her a call. I don't want her to worry about you. You can't. Uh, that is, uh, nobody, uh, nobody's home. Yeah. Oh. Uh, listen, do you do you know where Riverside Drive is? It's uh, in the other end of town, a block past Maple, east end of town. You know, a block past Maple, that's, uh, that's John F. Kennedy Drive. Who the hell is John F. Kennedy? Uh, Mother, uh, well, with Marty's parents out of town, don't you think he ought to spend the night? I mean, after all, Dad almost killed him with the car. 
That's true, Marty. I think maybe you should spend the night. I think you're our responsibility. Well, gee, I don't know. And he can sleep in my room. No. I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go. Thanks very much. It was wonderful. You were all great. Uh, see y'all later. Much later. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. His parents are probably idiots, too. Lorraine, you ever have a kid who acts that way, I'll disown you. So, Marty does find Riverside Drive. He knocks on Doc's door. And, of course, Marty turns around and that moment <laughs> takes a few steps away from the door. Doc opens it, just a crack, and then Marty turns right around and Doc shuts it. And, <laughs> and Marty has to explain that he is from the year 1985. He says, I came here in a time machine that you invented. So, of course, before he can even get to that, Doc puts this, like, like, um, I don't know, what you, not a plunger, but some type of, like, reading device that's connected to this big con metal light contraption, where I guess it's supposed to read someone's thoughts. And it turns out, you know, Doc, you know, Emmett, Doc Brown, like, spent, like, six months on that thing and don't fucking work at all. So it's like, no, we got bigger problems than your mind-reading machine. And you can see there's a couple, like, uh, butterfly bandages just above Emmett, uh, Doc Brown's eyebrow where, of course, he hit his head. And Marty knows about that because that's what Doc told him what was so important about November 5th, 1955. Yeah, and he's like, well, thinking, I haven't even built any, any time machine. And, of course, Marty figures, like, okay, um, and he pulls his wallet out to show proof, like, here's my driver's license from 1985. Expire, his driver's license expires in 1987. And he's like, yo, Doc, look at my birth date. I haven't even been born yet. What do you gotta do? Look at Marty. Look at his clothes. Those clothes aren't from 1955. Okay, so Linda graduated just recently in 84 because he pulls out the picture of him, his brother, David, and his sister and notices the class sweatshirt that his sister's wearing. It's class of 1984. Yeah, and, and Doc isn't believing it. It's like, he calls it photographic fakery because they cut off his brother's hair. And then it's just the start. Like, things are disappearing because Marty intervened in what was supposed to be... He basically took his father's place in something that was supposed to happen. His parents were supposed to meet and get together. Now he has to fix this timeline eruption. So yeah, Doc is not believing him. Like, okay, future boy, tell me who's the president in 1985. And Marty says, Ronald Reagan. And Doc's like, the actor? <laughs> like, really? Sure. He didn't believe him. He's like, well, then who's vice president? Jerry Lewis? Like, well, no. <laughs> Jane Wyman? And who's Jane Wyman? He's like, I'm sure... Jane Wyman is for the first lady, right? 
And Marty is running out and Doc is on his front lawn with rolled up papers. Probably of other experiments. Like, I gotta get this stuff away before this this future boy here like uh, takes my experiments. Doc. I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now I need your help to get back to the year 1985. Oh my God. Do you know what this means? It means that this damn thing doesn't work at all. You gotta help me. You were the only one who knows how your time machine works. prove it to you. Look at my driver's license. Expires 1987. Look at my birthday, for crying out loud. I haven't even been born yet. And look at this picture. My brother, my sister, and me. Look at her sweatshirt, Doc. Class of 1984. Pretty mediocre photographic fakery. They cut off your brother's hair. I'm telling the truth, Doc. You gotta believe me. Then tell me, future boy. <laughs> Who's president of the United States in 1985? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? <laughs> then who's vice president? Jerry Lewis. I suppose Jane Wyman is a first lady. Whoa, wait, Doc. And Jack Benny is secretary of the treasury. Oh. Doc, you gotta listen to me. I got enough practical jokes for one evening. Good night, future boy. No, wait, Doc. Doc, the, the, the bruise, the bruise in your head. I know how that happened. You told me the whole story. You were standing on your toilet, and you were hanging a clock, and you fell, and you hit your head on the sink. And that's when you came up with the idea for the flux capacitor, which is what makes time travel possible. So, yeah, he pretty much proves to Doc, like, oh, uh, I am who I say I am. Because I know how you got that bruise on your head. You were hanging a clock above your toilet. You fell. You hit your head. And that's how, when you came to, you came up with the idea for the flux capacitor. Which makes time travel possible. So he takes him. Since it's, it's nighttime, he takes Doc out to see the DeLorean, the time machine. Like, this is, this is what you built. You created this. Yeah, Marty lifts the door on the DeLorean and shows Doc the flux capacitor. And Doc just can't believe it. It works. Something I invented works. And Marty says, you bet your ass it works. <laughs> and Doc says, well, we got to get this back to my lab. And he grabs Marty by his uh, jacket collar and says, we got to get you home. Like, yeah, you do. He ain't living out his life in 1955. So, yeah, now we're back at the uh, the lab there. And Marty was able to wire up the TV to the camcorder to be able to play it. So, yeah. He's going to see himself in, 19, in 30 years down the road. Yeah, he plays the tape for, for Doc Brown. And... That when he mentions the 1.21 gigawatts, that type of power and everything like that, it's like, no, that I can't generate that kind of power. It just, it can't be done. And even, you know, Marty mentions the plutonium that the DeLorean runs on that. That's how that's going to get him back. 
And Dad says it's 1955. I can't just find plutonium anywhere. I'm sure in 1985 you can go pick it up at the supermarket. I'm like, I don't think you can do that in 1985. I don't think you'd be able to do that in 2025, and that hasn't even happened yet. But, and he's telling Marty that Marty is basically stuck in 1955. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. No, we are not doing that. No, you know, you get me home. Yeah, he says, I can't be stuck here in 1955. I got a life. I got a girl. And Doc asks, well, is she, is she pretty? And Marty says, she's beautiful. But Marty pulls out that flyer, that Save the Clock Tower flyer. And, um, because he's got... You know, Jennifer's grandma's number on there. And it says, I love you. And then when Doc takes it, he sees when that clock, you know, lightning stuck, struck the clock tower. That's supposed to happen the night of the dance. He, uh, Doc says the only power capable of generating that would be a bolt of lightning. And that's what strikes Marty. He's like, that's right. This bolt of lightning that's gonna hit the hit the clock tower this year like it's right november 5th no because october is that right just need that uh yeah instead of that plutonium they just need that bolt of lightning and that should hit the you know flux capacitor that should be that power that it needs and marty's on his way back to 1985 so yeah it's like marty's like yeah that's cool i can hang out for a week, I mean, it's no big deal. I mean, you can show me around, and Doc's like, "No, you can't leave this room. You need to stay here because anything you do is gonna disrupt the 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 pattern of the future and everything like that." Yeah, he says, "You must not leave this house. You cannot see anybody, and you can't talk to anybody." Yeah, he says, "Anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events." So Marty's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. And Doc's like, what, well, Marty, now, have you interacted with anyone else today? And Marty, he's, he's nervous, like, I mean, I kind of sort of bumped into my parents. like, And he's like, Shh. okay, give me that picture again of your you and your siblings. And he's like, that's it, yeah, look at it. Your brother, his, his head is practically disappearing. It's me. I'm... Yeah, well, I might have sort of bumped into my parents. Great Scott! Let me see that photograph again of your brother. Just as I thought. This proves my theory. Look at your brother. His head's gone. It's like it's like it's been erased. Erased from existence. All right, so. Looks like we're back at school. Hill Valley does not look like a shithole dump anymore because it looks brand spanking new. And speaking of new, Doc got Marty some clothes from 1955 that he way he can fit in and everything. So Doc tells Marty, he's like, so according to what you've told me, you pretty much interfered with your parents' first meeting. So we need to be able to get them together. Otherwise, you and your brother and sister are going to basically not exist. I mean, you already don't exist because you haven't been born yet. But this basically is going to prove, like, you're not ever going to exist at this point if you don't fix this. Whoa. 
Really clean this place up. Looks brand new. Now remember, according to my theory, you interfered with your parents' first meeting. They don't meet, they won't fall in love, they won't get married, and they won't have kids. That's why your older brother's disappearing from that photograph. Your sister will follow, and unless you repair the damage, you'll be next. Sounds pretty heavy. Wait, has nothing to do with it. So yeah, they're in the hallway, and Doc asks, all right, what one's your dad? What one's your pop? And Marty is so embarrassed, like, that, that one, that him, the one who's getting his, basically, literally getting his ass kicked in the hallway. And he is because he's kind of kick me side and people are literally kicking him in the ass. Damn, George. Courtney, get okay, so we do see Courtney Gaines here, and he is also, like, three, two redheaded guys and a brunette guy are kicking George in the ass because it's he's got a kick me sign on his back and it has an arrow pointing downward and Courtney Gaines is a tall guy that also has braces and he's not considered a nerd or anything like that and George is like oh real mature real mature and and Doc is like Marty maybe you were adopted <laughs> like no 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 you there's no mistaking that resemblance between him and his dad one other dude comes up behind George and kicks him in the ass. Like, dude, do you not know you got a kick me sign on your back? Come on, they're not just kicking your ass because they want to kick your ass. Like, is there's a sign saying "kick me here," and of course he drops his book. They keep playing off like it's some damn joke or something. Even saying like, "Oh, will you pick up my books?" Like, no, they're not. And here comes Strickland, who looks like he has some hair on his head. And even Marty's like, "Damn, did that guy ever have hair?" That's Strickland. And he's berating George, saying, "Straighten up! You're a slacker. You want to be a slacker for the rest, dude? You don't even know what a slacker is. Seriously." He's getting his ass kicked because of a sign on his back, and you're calling him a slacker. <sighs> you may as well just say to George, serves you right. And and even Doc is just like, what the? What did your mom ever see in him exactly? And then Marty's like, I don't. I, because he's like, I don't know, Doc. I guess she felt sorry for him because he got hit by the car that my grandpa. by the car it's like yeah yep you pretty much stepped into your father's shoes and doc says that's a florence nightingale effect where nurses fall in love with their patients that is weird is that a thing i want to look that up pretty much tells marty all right go to it kid like man you got a lot of work to do i don't know how you're gonna fix this situation but uh good luck <laughs> he pretty much by intervening has just made this task hella hard which one's your pop? That's him. Okay, okay, you guys. Ha 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 ha! Very funny. You guys are being real mature. Maybe we were adopted. Okay, real mature, guys. Okay, Nixon, you pick up my phone. Strickland. Jesus, didn't that guy ever have hair? Hey, Buck Man. You're a slacker. Do you want to be a slacker for the rest of your life? Florence Nightingale effect. 
It happens in hospitals when nurses fall in love with their patients. Go to it, kid. So Marty gets in there and is like, hey, George, because he's helping him pick up his books. Like, you remember me, right? I saved your life the other day. I was the one who got hit by the car, not you. Yeah, look, I want to introduce you to somebody. <laughs> and we do see a sign in the hallway for the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. There is, is that supposed to be a merman or a merwoman? Because I'm seeing no seashell bra. Maybe it's a guy. I can't tell. But it's got red lips like a lady and long blonde hair. I don't know. Oh yeah, let's see how this first meetup goes. <laughs> because he brings George over and then Elaine's with her two friends. And she is just like, oh my gosh, Calvin! And then she's asking about the bruise on his head. It's like, no, I want to introduce you to George. This is George McFly. My friend George McFly. Like, it's not gonna be that simple. It's not gonna be a, hey, let me introduce you to my friend here. Bing, bang, boom, you fall in love. You no, 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 no. No, it's gonna be a lot more work than that. Cause now that she's fallen in love with Marty, she ain't even gonna be able to see George. She is not even gonna care about him at all. She only has eyes for Marty. Or, in her mind, Calvin Klein. So, yeah, he starts off like, yeah, yeah, she's so shocked to see him. To see Marty that she's like, oh, Calvin! And then she, like, steps back and then, like, her locker door slams shut. So he's like, I'd like to introduce you to my good friend, George McFly. And then... George is all trying to be all <laughs> putting a hand above Lorraine's head. <laughs> He's got his arm loaded down with his binder and books and stuff like that. See, this is why you need a book bag in 1955 to carry that stuff. <laughs> and she is not even looking in George's direction. And she's <laughs> like... Oh, how's your head? Because she walks over to Marty and, like, goes to put a hand, like, by the side of his head. He's like, oh, it's it's fine, like, trying to get out of her, like, mm. Yeah, and she says, oh, I've been so worried about you since you ran off the other night. And George, oh, he is gone. He is like, bye. Like, this didn't work. So, yeah, the tardy bell rings and her friends, like, pull her along. Like, Lorraine, come on, we're going to be tardy. And then around the corner she comes right past Doc and says, isn't he a dreamboat? Yeah, she's not talking about George. <laughs> Doc comes over, you know, once the hallway clears. And Marty's like, Doc, she didn't even look at him. And, you know, Doc says, no, it's a lot worse than what you think it is. This is more worse than I feared. Turns out your mom is infatuated with you. Yeah. It's like basically your mom is infatuated with you instead of your father. And it hits Marty. Like, wait, Doc, are you telling me that my mom has got the hots for me? It's like, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that is some cuckoo banana bread. <laughs> yeah, and, and Marty's like, oh, man, this is heavy. And Doc's like, there's that word again, heavy. Is there something wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull in the future? Something wrong with the gravity? <laughs> so, yeah. Doc says the only way we're going to get those two to successfully mate is to get them alone together. Now, is there any, like, place that we could, like, 
put them? Any any hangout, anything like that, any school sanctioned functions? And before they even get to the idea of the dance, before he sees that sign on the school wall, it's like, what, my parents got to go out on a date? I mean, heck, I don't even know what kids do in 1955. What do they do on a date? Yeah, what do people do in the 50s? And, and Doc's like, well, I don't know. They're your parents. You must know them. You know, and Doc's asking, like, what are their common interests? What do they like to do together? <laughs> what do they do? Um, well, we know Lorraine loves her pop-off, and we know that George likes Jackie Gleason, the honeymooners. Um, together, I don't know what the hell they do together. They made three kids. That's what they did together. I have no shared goals or interests of any kind. What does he call it? A rhythmic ceremonial ritual? Yeah, the enchantment under the sea dance. And that's where it clicks for Marty. Like, wait, they, yeah, the dance. They're supposed to go to this. This is where they kiss for the first time on the dance floor and everything like that. So it's all coming back to him. So yeah, he Doc says, hey, look, stick to your father like glue. Make sure he asks your mom to the dance. That is key. That is what you got to focus on. I have been looking all over for you. You remember me? The guy who saved your life the other day? Oh, yeah, good. There's somebody I'd like you to meet. Good friend George McFly. Hi. It's really a pleasure to meet you. How's your head? Oh, uh, good. Fine. Oh, I've been so worried about you ever since you ran off the other night. Are you okay? Oh, it's Marty. I'm sorry, I have to go. is working on his stories and right away Marty sits down like hey George remember that girl we introduced you earlier today Lorraine yeah what do you think about her pretty cute right so yeah it turns out George is a writer he's into science fiction you know other beings from other planets coming down and interacting with the uh humans <laughs> yeah, and this is news to marty's like wow get out of town i didn't know you did anything creative i had i didn't know shit about you oh wow that's great <laughs> i mean 
as kids, we only know our parents as our parents. We don't know them as individuals that had interests before, you know, they became parents and before they got married. You know, at one point they were kids like us and they had dreams and they had interests and stuff like that. And it's just, you don't kind of wonder, it's like, unless they divulge it with you, then you're kind of like, well, I don't know what my parent was into when they were my age. I don't know what they like to do. I mean, I mean, I know my dad was a wrestler in high school. Um, he worked on the farm. Uh, that's about it. He milked cows. <laughs> um, you know, as an adult, I know that he liked to play golf. He was big into golf. Fishing, that was another thing that he was into. Um, but it's just fun, you know, sometimes like to hear... You know, my relatives, you know, tell stories like when my dad was young and just his interests and, um, like one of his teachers had spoke at, um, the, uh, visitation for my dad, uh, the day before his funeral and mentioned about how my, and I knew my dad was a, a big reader and everything like that and how, uh, and I, I knew that, like, my dad was kind of, well, he could be a troublemaker from time to time and get into mischief. I mean, what person didn't get into mischief growing up? It's just curiosity. But no, my, my dad was big into reading even, even then, even in high school, even in junior high and stuff like that. So it's really cool, I think, to kind of hear, you know, what our parents were like back when they were our age, back before they were our parents. <laughs> Oh, Marty right away says, ooh, let me read some. And George, um, he, like, yanks his stuff to him. Like, oh, no, no, no. I don't ever let anyone read my stories. It's just, yeah. And then he's pretty much saying the same thing that Marty says when it comes to the fear of rejection. Like, I don't think I could handle that type of rejection. Yeah, and he's like, well, what if? You know, someone read them and they didn't like them and they just thought they were, and my stories were no good. I just, I don't think I'd be able to handle that. You know, you probably don't get that. And Marty's like, no, I mean, you know, I, I do, I get that. I mean, probably more than you know, really. Oh, yeah, of course, Marty brings it back to Lorraine. Like, yeah, George, about Lorraine, you know, she really likes you. She told me to tell you that she wants you to ask her to the enchantment under the sea dance. Yeah, and he even says, like, you know, all you gotta do is just, you know, go over there and ask her. And George is like, what, right, right now, like, right here in the cafeteria, like, just go over there. It's like, what, what if she says no, though? I mean, I don't think I could handle that type of rejection. Yeah, especially, it's like, you're in a cafeteria with your peers and everything like that. It's just, just... Like, it's one thing to have someone reject you, but to reject you, like, in front of, like, cafeteria, that's where everything goes down, where public humiliation, I mean, you make a wrong move, and you're just, yeah, complete humility, at least back then, they didn't have cell phones where you could record it and make videos of someone's public humiliation. So, and George says, oh, besides, I think she'd rather go with someone else, and Marty is trying to be like, uh, oh. Really, who? And George points at Biff, who's sitting right next to Lorraine, and he's getting too close and too comfortable with her in a way that that would make anybody's skin crawl. Remember that girl I introduced you to? Lorraine? 
What are you writing? Uh, stories. Science fiction stories about uh, visitors coming down to Earth from other planets. Get out of town. I didn't know you did anything creative. Well, let me read some. Oh, no, 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 no. I never, I never let anybody read my stories. Why not? Well, what if they didn't like them? What if they told me I was no good? I guess that would be pretty hard for somebody to understand. Uh, no. No, not hard at all. So anyway, George. About Lorraine. She really likes you. She told me to tell you that she wants you to ask her to the enchantment under the sea dance. Really? Oh, yeah. All you gotta do is go over there and ask her. What, right here, right now in the cafeteria? What if she said no? I don't know if I could take that kind of a rejection. Besides, I think she'd rather go with somebody else. Uh, who? Beth. Okay, yeah, let's go look at this here because anybody would see, who has half a brain, would see that he is, I'm referring to any of those scumbags there, his cronies that don't have a brain at all in their head, could see like this is a very a physical altercation here between a um, young man who is overpowering a girl he's coming up on her sitting right behind her in her chair he's got his meaty hand like against her wrist and just is you know yanking on her and it's just what the heck he is a disgusting piece of shit this guy biff he's a damn bully and he honestly looks like he could be a future rapist because he does not take no for an answer. Yeah, he's like all up in her practically. He's like, you know you want it. You know you want you know you want me to give it to you. And she's like trying to like free her wrist from his hand and then she slaps him across the face and says Yeah, she slaps him and says, Shut your filthy mouth. I'm not that kind of girl. Then he grabs her arm again and says, Well maybe you are and you just don't know it yet. And she is like trying to pry his fingers off of her arm and say, get your meat hooks off of me. And even her friend who's sitting right next to her is just, there's fear in her, in her eyes too. It's like, what can she possibly do to help Lorraine? Nothing. And Marty finally has to intervene. It's like, hey, you heard her. Get your meat hooks off of her. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to rip your ass out of that chair. Like, that's, like, where's my mom you're trying to hurt? Although he can't say that because, uh, yeah. Marty goes over there and he fucking yanks Biff out of his seat. Like, you heard her. Get your meat hooks off of her. Where the hell are there, like, lunch, like, patrol people or lunch... What are the, I know, lunchroom monitors? Something like that? No one's watching this go down? I know it's 1955, but come the hell on. And then, of course, you see how Biff is, like, hulking huge over Marty. And he's like, I, I mean, uh, please. <laughs> and Biff gets right into it. It's like, well, what's it to you, butthead? And the way that he pushes Marty, and Marty just goes sliding backwards. 
They both get into a shoving match. Like, yeah, you've been looking for a fight, and both of them, they got a hand on each other's shirt collars, and Marty is literally ready to, like, just bash the, the hell out of Biff's face. And Strickland is just there, like, glaring at Biff, hands on hips. Like, what is this going on? And, yeah, well, yeah, that's right, because... Biff's got, like, Marty's shirt collar, like, in his fist. Like, he's ready to deck him. And Marty's got his arm, like, ready to just, like, right into his face. Like, they're ready to throw down, like, big time. And then Biff, who's probably had gotten into so many fights, probably one fight away from getting expelled, was just, look, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut you a break today so why don't you make like a tree and get out of here like it's make like a tree and leave dum-dum but whatever basically yeah he, he, he tells marty look look since you're new here i'm gonna cut you a break <laughs> today as in this offer is only good for today it expires after the school hours and then your ass is mine basically like we meet again like this yeah it's going down to pound town like with my fist Everybody in that lunchroom is on their feet, just bated breath, waiting to see what's going to happen. But luckily, somebody throws a paper airplane, which distract, distracts Strickland, because, like, Marty does not go to school there. So you can't tell me that Strickland's not going like, to go up like, who are you? What are you doing here? You don't look like I've, I've, I've never seen someone like you before. I know every student in the school and I've never seen you before. Who are you? Yeah, it's like I can definitely see that that would raise some red flags. And of course, George is gone again. What you want? You know you want it. You know you want me to give it to you. Shut your filthy mouth. I'm not that kind of girl. Oh, well, maybe you are, and you just don't know it yet. Get your meat hooks off of me. You heard her. She said, get your meat hooks off. Ah, please. So what's it to you, butthead? You know, you've been looking for a Since you're new here, uh, I'm going to cut you a break today. So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's like George probably thinks Marty is literally stalking him now because... <laughs> Marty is like, hey, George. And George is like, well, why do you keep following me? <laughs> like, he's the one went down in the lunchroom, I'm sure. He's like, I, I can't be seen with that guy. That guy is trouble. That Marty is trouble. Yeah, and, and Marty is desperate at this. Like, look, George, if you don't ask Lorraine to that dance, I I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. <laughs> and if I were George, like, what are you talking about? How does this affect you at all? Yeah, and apparently he can't go to the dance because he will miss his favorite show, Mystery Science Theater. Uh, I'm sure you'll be able to catch it in reruns like 30 years down the road. Don't worry about it. Marty is just so like, but George Lorraine wants to, like she really wants to go with you. 
I'd be like, well, I haven't seen any proof that she has any interest in me. So, yeah, I think he's got to work a little harder than that. He says, I'm just not ready to ask Lorraine to the, to the dance. So, and not you and nobody else on this planet is going to be able to change my mind. So, yeah. Desperate times call for desperate measures because Marty is like, oh, hmm, I just like to write science fiction. Okay, this might work. So he dresses up in his hazmat suit, has his tape player, which he, he puts the headphones around George's head, and basically threatens George, if you don't take Lorraine to the dance, I am going to melt your brain. Basically, we don't see that conversation, but we hear the after effect when George meets up with Marty. Shit. One down, two to go. <laughs> he puts in Eddie, Edward Van Halen, that tape, and of course, that metal music that hasn't been invented yet, and just blaring it right into George's ears. And apparently it's like 1.20 in the morning, which is funny because it seems like that time is relevant in other, like, that was the time that Doc had had Marty meet him at the mall and everything like that at 1 in the morning. All right, so George catches up with Marty and says, look, I need to, I need your help. I need to ask Lorraine out, but I don't know how to go about this. And then he also brings up, like, I was visited by Darth Vader last night, and he said, like, if I don't ask Lorraine to the dance, he's going to suck out my brains or something. Like, melt my brains and suck them out my ear or something. Cafe, that's what it's called. Okay. Uh, Darth Vader came down from Planet Vulcan. <laughs> so, putting Star Wars and Star Trek, mashing them together. Uh, and, of course... Marty's like, look, look, George, just keep that brain-melting stuff to yourself, okay? Thank you. Oh, yeah, I was like, all right, there she is. George, there's your chance. Go go invite her to the dance. And George's like, I just, I don't know what to say. It's like, it's just, just say anything. And then Marty starts stringing out a few lines. Well, like, the first thing that comes to your mind, George, just say that. And... George says, well, nothing's coming to my mind. And Marty's like, huh, I was wondering if I was even born. I don't even know at this point. <laughs> yeah, he says, just tell her that destiny brought you two together and that she is the most beautiful girl you have ever seen. And George is writing all this down, of course. Like, oh, this is good stuff. This is good. Yeah, 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 definitely. Because, <laughs> like, girls like that stuff. Like, yeah. But uh, we want it to sound natural. We don't want it to sound like it's a pickup line or re rehearsed. Or you've used it uh, the same line on multiple girls before. He apparently shoves George in the doorway into the soda shop. I'm calling it a soda shop. It ain't no cafe. It ain't no. I mean, when I think cafe, I think like a Starbucks or something like that. And that it's like a soda shop. They got sodas there and malts and all that schmutz <laughs> it's got like one shirt tail untucked sticking out and the other half of his shirt is tucked in tuck that shirt in george so we know that uh george loves chocolate milk we saw him drinking that in the lunchroom he asked lou for chocolate milk and i love how the, the milk just slides across the counter and joe is like i need that nip of courage i need that chocolate milk I love how it just slides across the counter and he takes a sip of it. What the hell 
hell, Lorraine's friend, the blonde? What the hell is she? Is she like smoking a? That is too big to be a, a cigarette. What is that? What is that? So it's loud. It's loud in this joint, and of course, George barely speaks above a whisper as he's like, Lorraine, my density has, and she's like, what, what, what? <laughs> Dude, you gotta speak up. He says, my density has brought me to you. And she looks at him like, what, what? <laughs> like, excuse me, come again. What was that? And he's like, wait a minute, what? No, what I meant to say is, and it's like just above a whisper. And she's like, wait, wait a minute. Don't I know you from somewhere? And he's like, yes, yes, I'm George, George McFly. And right away, here comes Biff. Oh, because Marty's hanging out by the counter, kind of watching his this uh, little uh, dealy go down here with George and Lorraine. Like, I want to make sure it goes off without a hitch. And here comes the hitch. He says, I'm your density. I mean, density, destiny. <laughs> well, <laughs> whatever works. You got it out. <laughs> here comes Biff like hey McFly I thought I told you never to come in here again it's gonna cost you and of course you hear you hear George say well how much you need Biff and right away Marty sticks out his foot as Biff comes charging in and he, of course he trips oh yeah yeah alright okay alright there she is George just go in there and invite her Okay, but I don't know what to say. Well, just say anything, George. Say, well, whatever's natural. Well, the first thing that comes into your mind. Nothing's coming to my mind. Jesus, George, it was a wonder I was even born. What? What? Nothing, nothing. Nothing. Look, tell her destiny brought you together. Tell her that she is the most beautiful girl you've ever seen in the world. Girls like that stuff. What are you doing? I'm writing this down. This is good stuff. Yeah, okay. Oh, let's go. Oh. Take care. Boo. Give me a milk. Chocolate. somewhere yes yes i'm george george mcfly i'm your density i mean your destiny oh. and McFly. i thought i told you never to come in here you want, Beth? Oh. All right, punk. Now, whoa, whoa, Beth. 
What's that? That's Calvin Klein. Oh my god, it's a dream. So, yeah, of course Biff comes in and it's like, well, it's going to cost you. Because I told you never to come in here. And George, I thought he said how much you need. He says, no, how much you want, Biff. I'm like, oh, you really are. Mm. So Biff comes charging in. Of course, Marty puts his leg out to trip him. He does. And then, of course, it's like you see Biff. <laughs> Marty's eyes get wider and wider seeing Biff, like, reaching his full height. It's like, hey, Biff, what's that? <laughs> Punches him right in the face. And, of course, Lorraine seeing Marty slash Calvin, like, oh, that's Calvin Klein. He's such a dream. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She and George, if, with Marty in the picture, George has no chance. Yeah, he, he, uh, t the, these two kids are playing with these little, uh, it's like a, a box thing with a, like a scooter type thing. And he takes the box part off of the top. So it basically becomes a skateboard so he can get away from Biff and them. <laughs> and Biff is like literally right on his heels. Cause he's like <laughs> doing the same thing he was doing 85 with like hanging out of the back of bumpers and stuff like that. Marty, of course, getting away on a skateboard, manages to get away from Biff for a moment, and then he proceeds to knock into a lady coming out of the library and just spilling her papers. And also this other guy, too, and there's papers all over the place. Like, dude! Apologize, just gets back on the skateboard and just zips off. Biff, the idiot that he is, does not see that he's going <laughs> right into the back of a manure truck. Because you think, oh, I'm going to ram him into this manure. And like, no, you're not. Because Marty jumps onto the hood of Biff's car and jumps over the back seat. And before Biff can realize it and actually put on the brakes, yeah, he slams right into the back of that manure truck. And it's just like, whoa, my goodness. Yeah, people are going to smell his ass coming a mile away. Not even a mile away. Less than a mile away. So both Lorraine's friends are like, oh my gosh, where'd this guy come from? Where does he live? And Lorraine is like, she's full on determined, like, I don't know, but I'm gonna find out. It's like, she's got her eyes, like, locked on Marty, like, I'm gonna make that boy mine. So Marty gets back to Doc's and he sees Doc watching the videotape and it kind of cuts off where... Doc sees that the living they found him. He's like, oh my god, they found me. I don't know how, but they found me. And then Marty comes in, and then Doc says, oh wow, this video thing is just really, really amazing. An amazing piece of equipment. And Marty starts in, well, you know, Doc, there is something that I think I need to fill you in on about the night that that tape was made and doc doesn't want to hear it. it's like he says no 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 it's too much of a risk no man should know too much about his own destiny it's like clearly when doc was watching that he was playing it over and over it's like he knows like some something not good is gonna come from those words of him saying i don't know i don't know what how but they found me telling him like no you don't understand and doc's like no i do seriously i have i know too much about my own 
future I could just endanger my entire existence. So, yeah. He's made the city, like, a, a model of the city kind of down to scale to do a run-through of the experiment with a, to a toy car. And he has the wires, you know, connected from the clock tower uh, down to where the two lampposts are and just connecting and everything. So that way it's going to latch onto this metal hook thing that's going to be on the back of the DeLorean. And he's just doing kind of a run-through test. And Doc explains how the big pole here on the back of the DeLorean, that hook, that runs directly into the flux capacitor. So that's basically going to just shoot that lightning bolt like right into it. That's exactly what you're going to need to get home. Okay, so it's a cable that's going to be connected to those two lampposts and then also to the the clock tower. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And that's what the hook, that metal hook is um, that's on the car is going to attach you. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> the, the car, the wind-up car goes off that little model set up and ends up bursting into flames. <laughs> so Doc has to use an extinguisher and Marty's like, wow, that's inspiring a lot of confidence. And Doc says, look, I will take care of this. You need to take care of your dad. Also, what happened with that? And <laughs> it's like, okay, did he ask her out? And Marty's like, I, I think so. Like, well, he was about to. She may have said yes if it hadn't been for the interruption. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know if she had because she's already fixated hard on Marty. So Doc's like, okay, what'd she say? And that's when the door opens and here comes Lorraine. So yeah, she uh, yeah she tracked Marty down and it's like, okay, we gotta cover the car because she can't see that. Again, Marty is not learning his lesson because she's like, Cal, hi Cal, I mean Marty. And he, Marty is like, mom, I mean Lorraine. And it's like, she's, not, she's so oblivious though. Like he could call her anything other than Lorraine and she would respond to it. So, of course, he's like, well, how did you find me? And she says, oh, I, I followed you. I was like, okay, stalker much? So, yeah, and then he introduces Doc, you know, that's my uncle, Doc Brown. Like, what a quick save. So, yeah, she actually asked him, like, I was wondering if you'd ask me to the enchantment under the sea dance. And, and Marty's surprised, like, wait, you, you mean nobody's asked you yet? And, of course, he brings up George. Like, well, what about George? George McFly, what about him? So, yeah, he's like, well, what about George? And she's like, George McFly? I mean, yeah, he's cute and all, but he's not. And then she starts saying how a man should come to the defense of the woman that he cares for or something. And yeah, he did come to her defense when Biff was grabbing on her and stuff. So you can see why she's already infatuated and just him doing that basically her knight in shining armor pretty much solidified the deal. It's like, no, she wants to go with him. She's not going to take any substitute. Especially not shy guy George. I mean, he, yes, he is cute, but he, he is shy and he's not confident. Yeah, and she says, I think that a guy should be strong and that he can stand up for himself. Clearly, George isn't either of those things. At least not yet. Yes, and she also adds, and protect the woman he loves. Mm. 
<laughs> I love the shared look between Doc and Marty. It's almost like Doc's like, well, I mean, yeah, she's she's got a point. <laughs> you kind of back, she kind of backed you into a corner here. So yeah, now we have to come up with a whole new scenario about how this is gonna work. Cause even George is like, well, how am I supposed to? Do I mean if she's already going with you? I mean, how is this gonna work? So now Marty has to come up with a scenario where he's going to take advantage. Yeah, right. This is his future mom. No, no, no. But um, yeah, basically you're gonna come to her rescue. Yeah, and Marty's like, well, I mean, she wants to go with you. She just doesn't know it yet. We gotta make you George McFly and do a fighter. She wants someone that will come to her rescue to be her knight in shining armor. And we gotta make you that person. And the only way she's gonna think that about you is if you, yeah, you come to rescue and you knock me out you punch me I'm gonna take advantage of her or something like that it's like oh my gosh and Marty's even using Lorraine's words like you're someone who's gonna stand up for yourself George and someone who's going to protect Lorraine that's what she wants she wants someone who's going to protect her and stand up for himself and George is like well I've never picked a fight before Marty says what, you're not gonna pit, be picking a fight, Dad? I mean, Dad, Daddy. Oh, like, dude, you gotta stop. But then again, for 17 years, he's only known Lorraine and George's mom and dad. That's kind of a hard habit to break <laughs> when you've been calling two people you've known your whole life, mom and dad, regardless of you, you know, subtracting 30 years. There's still to you, your mom and dad. So, yeah, Marty has him kind of go through the whole scenario. Like, we gotta make sure we got this done, Pat, alright? 8.55, where are you? And George says, I'm gonna be at the dance. Okay, and Marty says, well, then where am I gonna be? And he says, well, you're gonna be in the car with her. Like, absolutely, you got it. So, Marty paints the scenario. Like, alright, around 9 o'clock, she's going to get very angry with me. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and George is like, well, why is she going to get angry with you? And Marty can't even look at him when he says, like, just the idea makes him sick to the stuff. Well, I mean, nice girls get angry when guys take advantage of them. Like, dude, she would be playing so much into your hands. She probably wants you to do that. Because she likes you so much that she would, I mean, any attempt of advantage that you would try to take on her, she would probably see that as a I don't know maybe not maybe not but she's already infatuated with Marty so she's gonna take any advancement that he places on her as an invitation like green light what you're gonna touch her on her like no 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 I'm not doing it. it's gonna look like it's not gonna be it's gonna be fine okay nine o'clock you're gonna see a struggling in the car and then you're going to all right, George, remember, what's your line? And then he says, you, you get your damn hands off. Do I, do I have to swear? It's like, yes, George, damn it, you swear. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Marty says, all right, you open the door. You yank open the door. You see us there. What do you say? What? George, your line. Like, oh yeah, keep your damn hands, get your damn hands off her. George is just so... Uh, <laughs> 
and he's like, should I really swear? It's like, yes, damn it, George, you swear, yes. Hey, he's pretty much saying, all right, you punch me in the stomach, I'm out for the count, you and Lorraine go off and have your first dance and hopefully your first kiss. <laughs> he says, you and Lorraine live happily ever after, <laughs> basically, like it's that simple. George is just like, oh wow, Marty, you make this sound and look so easy. I just, I wish I wasn't so scared. I'm thinking, yeah, the thing is, they got together by a happy accident, basically. That was the only way that they got together, because if they didn't have that whole, she falls in love with him because her dad hits him with a car, brings him in, and then she just falls in love with him. If you take that out of the equation, just have them two casual students that never cross paths in four years of high school, they, <laughs> Marty is not, and none of the kids are going to exist. Because it had to take that apt intervention to put these two people together. I like the advice that Marty gives George. He says, if you put, when you put your mind to it, George, you can accomplish anything. I was like, oh, that's so sweet. I love the advice he's given his dad. Hearing the weather report for that night, you know, low 40s, um, Doc is like, are you sure, Marty? Are you sure about this storm? I'm thinking, well, it's already happened 30 years later. It's a memory. So, of course, it's going to happen. I mean, it even says on that piece of paper that it happened with the clock tower, so. And, of course... You know, and, you know, Doc says, you know, Marty, I'm really going to be sad to see you go. I mean, you really have given me something to shoot for in my life and everything like that. And yes, Marty has had a, a hand in, you know, his parents' lives, not just bringing them together, but, you know, just being a presence in, in their lives. And the same with Doc and everything. Yeah, and Doc is just like, just knowing going to be able to see 1985 and then I'm going to, you know, invent this time machine. It's just amazing. And Marty just, you know, he feels bad because he knows what happens to Doc then in 1985. And just even Doc saying, you know, it's going to be really hard waiting 30 years to be able to talk to you again. Yeah, you know, he says it's going to be really hard waiting around for, for the next 30 years to, until I can talk to you again about everything that's happened that's going to happen. Everything that happened, you know, in the next, last few days and everything. Aww. Yeah, he, he does. Marty has that effect on people. He's a sweetheart. He's got, he's got a good heart. Yeah, and Marty again wants to bring this up. And Doc shoots him down like, no, we already agreed that any talk about the future could have... It could be extremely dangerous and have very dangerous consequences. And he says to Marty, he says, even if your intentions are good, it could backfire drastically. And he tells Marty, he's like, whatever you have to tell me, I'll find out through through the natural course of time. I mean, he had to have known. It's like, you do that with those people. Like, they are going to find out and they are going to come after you. Well, Marty decides to write a letter to Doc and says, on the night that I go back in time, you will be shot by terrorists. And he even underlines, please, like three times, like, please take whatever precautions are necessary to prevent this terrible disaster, your friend Marty. He's got a little, because he's sitting in the, um, the, the, I'm not calling it the cafe, the, the little, uh, soda shop. And he's got, like, a little bottle of ink. 
That's right, because they didn't have ballpoint pens in 1955, apparently. He even writes on it, do not open until 1985. So, uh, oh, and also he got an envelope from Lou. It says Lou's Cafe, Hill in Maine, Hill Valley, California. Okay, so it's in California. Well, here comes a cop strolling by, like, oh, Dr. Brown, what do you got going on there? Because what's with the wire? And he says, oh, I'm just conducting a weather experiment. And then the guy tries to look under, the cop tries to look under the tarp. And he's like, no, 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 don't, don't touch that. It's highly sensitive weather equipment or something. And the guy's like, oh, really? Okay, do you have a permit? And he's like, eh, let me uh, dig it out of my wallet. So while he's doing that, Marty puts that envelope, that note that he sent to Doc, he put it in Doc's um, jacket pocket that's just uh, hanging off to the side. So now we're going to the dance. Marvin, Barry, and the Starlighters. Alright, so Marty and Lorraine, it looks like he took Doc's vehicle to the fruit. Okay, cool, cool. So, yeah, he asks her, uh, and I like how he's, like, trying to loosen his tie off on here. So <laughs> like, do you mind if we, uh, park for a while? And she <laughs> says, oh, that's a great idea. I'd love to park. And he's like, uh, what? <laughs> he does not want to go through with this. She says, Marty, it's, I'm almost 18 years old. It's not like I've never parked before. Like, okay, well, there we go. Catch an old 1985 Lorraine and a right there. Huh, yeah. <laughs> Seems like you alluded to some stuff <laughs> that you did as a teenager. Gosh, maybe it sounds like she's a smidge more experienced than Marty thought she was. She's like, oh, you seem nervous. Are you, is something wrong? He's like, uh, no, no. It's like, he could not be death gripping that steering wheel anymore if he tried. He is that stressed out. So, of course, she brings a pint with her and is already downing it. And he's like, what the? You, you really shouldn't drink. Apparently, her mom likes to drink because she says, I swiped it from the old lady's liquor cabinet because he, like, takes the drink out of her hands like, Lorraine, what are you doing? And he tells her, you know, you shouldn't drink. And she asks him, why not? And he says, well, you might regret it later on in life, later in life. Like, not hinting, like, oh, you become an alcoholic in 30 years. Because your life is just so sad and depressing that you're clinging to these high school moments. Like, they're, you're clinging to them with your bated breath. It's just, it's, it's very sad. Yeah, she, now she's like... Marty, don't be such a square. Everybody who's anybody drinks. I'm thinking, good for them. You don't need to be the 1955 poster child for teen alcoholism. So, yeah, he takes a sip from the, uh, the old pint there and... <laughs> yeah, no, she's lighting up a cigarette. It's like, you want it? A concurrence too? God damn, you smoke now? Damn, if she had the alcohol anywhere near that that uh, Zippo lighter, holy shit, that car would have went up in flames. So now, <laughs> Lorraine's getting a little irritated. Like, he's like, you smoke too? And she's like, Marty, you're tr beginning to sound like my mother. Why, does she know you do this stuff? 
But did Lorraine's mom have time to drink between her six pregnancies? <laughs> Do you mind if we park for a while? That's a great idea. I'd love to park. Huh. Well, I might be. I'm almost 18 years old. It's not like I've never parked before. What? Marty, you seem so nervous. Is something wrong? No. No. <coughs> Lorraine, Lorraine, what are you doing? I swiped it from the old lady's liquor cabinet. Yeah, well, <coughs> you shouldn't drink. Why not? Because you, you might regret it later in life. Marty, don't be such a square. Everybody who's anybody drinks. And where are they in 1985? Jeez, you smoke too? Marty, you're beginning to sound just like my mother. So, yeah, we're at the dance and George is there taking a sip from some punch and then he looks at the clock in the... Is that the cafeteria, I'm guessing? That's been made into a... Or, uh, no, the gymnasium, I'm sorry area and he sees it's almost nine it's like he needs to get his ass outside for this plan to jump off he's checking the watch like let me make sure that it actually is almost nine o'clock oh yep it oh my i get better get my ass out there so lorraine has taken her uh sweater top off the whatever it was that was i don't know what the heck you would call it uh i don't know coat Thing. and you know she's revealed her you know sleeveless strapless dress and Marty of course is turned away it's like yeah that is a lot of cleavage like you don't you don't want to see your parent like that you know and she's she really is like like noticing like Marty is will barely even look at her like changing the subject turning away just really he looks overly embarrassed because he knows what he told George that he's gonna have to do and George doesn't think it none of them think like oh this is my kid from 30 years because no why would they and she's like why are you so nervous Marty he's like uh Lorraine have you ever uh have you ever been in a situation where you knew you had to act a certain way, but when it came down to it, but when you got there, you didn't know if you could go through it with it or not? And she's like, oh, you mean like how you're supposed to act on a first date? Like, no, she's she's been out with guys. I'm, I'm sure she has, so. And she is actually pretty forward here. She is very, very forward. She's the one who takes the first step. And she says, you know, I think I know exactly what you mean. And he looks at her like, you do? And she says, you know what I do in those situations? I don't think about it. I just do it. She says, I don't worry. And then she leans in and kisses him. And he looks like he is, he is, his eyes are like bugging out of his, he's like, like as far as he could get away from her. Like he, <laughs> if he could get out of that car, he would. Because she, she kisses him. She's the one who pulls away first in surprise. Like, clearly this isn't what she was hoping for. Or she's not satisfied by it. Because she pulls away with this uncomfortable look on her face. And Marty just looks like... 
she just yeah went to pound town on him because he is like <laughs> he's just got this look of scared look of shock and fear and all of the above she says this is all wrong i don't know what it is but and she says i don't know what it is but when i kiss you it's like i'm kissing my brother and i'm thinking girl you don't know the half of it as you know i guess that doesn't make any sense does it and he's like no that that makes more sense than you realize uh, believe me it makes perfect sense marty why are you so nervous rain have you ever uh been in a situation where you knew you had to act a certain way but when you got there you didn't know if you could go through with it oh you mean like how you're supposed to act on a first date oh uh, sort of well, I, th I think i know exactly what you mean you, you do you know what i do in those situations what i don't worry Now, if he could pull away, he would. <laughs> but she's got him pinned up against the door of the car. This is all wrong. I, I don't know what it is. But when I kiss you, it's like I'm kissing my brother. I guess that doesn't make any sense, does it? Believe me. It makes perfect sense. He's coming. You caused 300 bucks damage to my car, you son of a bitch. I'm gonna take it out of your ass. Hold him. Let him go, Beth. You're drunk. Well, look at what we have here. No, no. Stay right here with me. Come on, Marie. Come on. Don't leave her alone, you bastard. Take him in back, all right? I'll be right there. Come on. Well, go on. This ain't no peep show. So, yeah, he, when the door opens, because Lorraine says someone's coming, and when the door opens, Marty expects it to be George, because that was the plan. No, it's fucking Biff. And he says, you cost me $300 worth of damage to my car, you son of a bitch, and now I'm going to take it out of your ass. So then he takes Marty and shoves him over to his goons, who promptly proceed to punch him in the gut. And then they run off with him and throw him in the trunk of a car where the um, the band is hanging out. They're taking a break. So, and then he proceeds to, well, it looks like he's going to basically rape Lorraine. Because he's like, oh, wow, look who we have here. And then... Yeah, I just, I feel so bad for her. And he puts, they put Marty in an open trunk of a car, which is where the, the band members are. And they get out, one of the guys gets out and is like, excuse me, what the hell do you think you're doing? And then the guy's like, back off, this doesn't have anything to do with you. And out come the four other guys of the band. Like, do you want to get your ass kicked? And they basically take off after Biff's goons. Like, we're gonna beat your ass. This is my, 
fucking car. And you're telling me, like, I don't have a right to know what's going on? I'm coming for your ass. Band is, like, members that are, like, clearly in their 20s. <laughs> and these are high school kids. And calling them a spook or something. And the guy is like, excuse me, Peckerwood? And then one of the guys smacks the one kid up, the blonde haired kid upside the head and says, go home to your mama, boy. <laughs> and they race after him. So apparently the keys were left in the trunk that was open and they took them and threw the keys into the trunk with Marty. So basically he couldn't get out. Oh, shit. So here comes George, ready to put this plan into action. And boy, oh boy, does he get a surprise when he opens the door. Like, hey, you, take your damn, get your damn hands off her. And discovers it's not Marty that's in the car with Lorraine. It's Biff. Hey, you, get your damn hands off. Oh, I think you got the wrong car, McFly. <laughs> George, help me, please. Just turn around, McFly, and walk away. Are you deaf, McFly? Close the door and beat it. No, Biff. You leave her alone. All right, McFly. You're asking for it. And now you're going to get it. So, yeah, Biff tells him, all right, McFly, you need to walk away. There's nothing to see here. And I like, you know, George could have walked away, but Lorraine is begging him, like, George, please help me. And I like, this is George finally standing up. He says, no, Biff, you leave her alone. And then he goes to punch Biff in the stomach, and Biff grabs George, his hand, by the wrist, and of course he turns it behind his back, so he's basically going to try to break his arm. He's going to break his arm! Biff! Biff! Leave him alone! Let him go! Let him go! <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yes, he clocks him good. thing is he Biff almost does break George's arm and even Lorraine tries to come to his defense and just like Biff just pulling on Biff's arm like leave him alone and Biff takes his hand and shoves Lorraine to the ground and then he starts laughing and then of course George takes his other hand which you see curl into a fist and while Biff is distracted George like cold clocks him hard to the point where he like spins around and hits the car and he goes down and I love how George is just looking at his hand just 
he can't believe that he just did that. Finally, that courage just flowing through his veins, just like, I'm not going to take it anymore. Like, you're not going to treat her like that. And he looks down at Lorraine and he says, are you okay? He asks, are you okay? And she nods and he helps her up. And then they go into the, you see them walk off to the dance. And, you know, Marty, of course, finally, you know, he gets free from that trunk. Those guys help get him out of there. He runs and sees Biff on the ground and sees his parents walk off together. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. So, and of course these people are, see Biff lying on the ground and they're like, oh my gosh, did you see that? George McFly knocked out Biff. <coughs> so, George is now the hero here. So, Marty pulls out the picture and now you see like half of his sister is gone. There's only like half of her sweatshirt left. It's like he, yeah. I mean, he's slowly putting things into into motion, and things are kind of changing in a way that he didn't expect. He just thought, you know, get them together and have them dance, and boom. But some, yeah, and he'll bring that up to Doc later. It's like something happened that he didn't expect, like that his dad had done something that you know, he never would have thought his dad had it in him to do that. So yeah, it's nine. It's nine thirty-one because Doc looks at his watch and looks at the clock tower it's like 1004 is when that lightning strikes and you hear the rumbling it's like marty you gotta get your ass down here because we gotta get you home you need to hurry up so now marty rushes over to the band members and one of the guys that helped marty get out of that trunk he fucked up his hand his hand is like bleeding it's like a big old gash and he's like, you guys got to get in there and play. And it's like, my, my, my parents, I mean, if they don't, if you don't play, they, they don't dance and then they don't kiss and then I don't exist. And basically it's like, he's rambling. They don't know what the hell he's talking about. So it's like, man, the dance is over. Like Marvin can't play with his hand and we can't play without him. Unless you know someone who knows how to play a guitar. And that's how Marty ends up on stage playing the guitar. So, in a way, he's kind of getting his chance to play at a school dance. He's like, Marvin, you... Marty says, Mar Marvin, you gotta play. You see, that's where the kids for the first time on the dance floor. Yeah, and he says, if there's no music, they can't dance. And if they can't dance, they can't kiss. And then, if they can't kiss, they can't fall in love and... And then I won't exist. I'm basically history. And they're like looking at him. Yes, <laughs> the guys are like, what the hell is this guy talking about? What? <clears throat> yeah, even, you know, Marvin says, hey man, the dance is over. Unless you know someone who can play guitar. And it's like, uh, yeah, you're looking at him basically. This is such a beautiful, I love this song, Earth Angel. And I love how the band member um, says, you know, this is, song is for all you lovers out there. And it's like, oh, and I love how the dance floor darkens, and it's just so sweet. And Marty actually has the picture on the guitar, uh, the guitar on the, uh, is that the fret? I don't know what it is. But, um, yeah, and now his sister, his brother's completely gone. His sister's now completely gone, and it's just Marty that's left. And George... <laughs> It's, it's it's so adorable how Lorraine actually does ask, like, George, aren't you going to kiss me? And he's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, it would be his first kiss. And you see, I like, dude, you knocked out Biff, man. Like, you gotta kiss her. <laughs> like, you were her knight in shining armor here. George, aren't you going to kiss me? I, I don't know. 
Scram, McFly. I'm cutting in. shows back up and it's like it's oh my goodness and yeah i just love when he like just george like push courtney Gaines down like excuse me and then he takes his hands on either side of lorraine's face and then he leans in and kisses her it's so beautiful i love it and i love how he does like the kind of salute to marty from the dance floor because marty's on stage and like, so the lead singer is so impressed with marty's pl guitar playing it's like hey Man, let's do another one. Let's do something that really, really cooks. And of course, Marty is going to play the Johnny B. Good song. Alright, so I looked up the song Johnny B. Good. It says it was written by Barry in 1955, which is funny because Marvin Barry calls up Chuck Barry and says, Hey, you got to listen to this sound. <laughs> and I just think it's funny. So... Marty gets on the microphone and says, all right, guys, this one's an oldie. I mean, it's an oldie where I come from, and I, I think you're all really going to like it. Of course, we know, like, this is not Michael J. Fox playing the guitar, and it's not him singing the song. But everyone is loving this song. They're really grooving to it. Oh, yeah, now that the other students have learned that George knocked out Biff, they got some suggestion for what George can do. Like, hey, you ever think of running for class president? Yeah, so here, <laughs> Marvin gets on the phone to his cousin Chuck and says, Hey, it's Marvin, Mar your cousin Marvin Barry. You know that new sound you've been looking for? You gotta listen to this. Yep. <laughs> so, Marty is taking it a little bit to the extreme because even the guy on the cello and the, even the guy on the drums are kind of looking at each other like, okay, what is he doing now? Because this is not, it, it's turning into something more than what, yeah, he's like, now he's doing the heavy metal riff. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and just when he stops because he realizes nobody's dancing anymore, even the the band members have stopped playing and they're all like, what? What is this? What are you doing? And he's playing the guitar over his head. He's gonna, like, bash into some stuff. He's, like, been watching too many heavy metal music videos. No, because now, no, he's he doesn't bash the guitar into something. He actually, like, goes, drops down to his knees, and now he's doing a weird 
<laughs> like he's now he's like crawling on the floor, like on his back. It's like, dude, you've been watching too much, like white snake videos or whatever this is supposed to be. Knocking over an amp, dude. This is the equipment, and you're breaking it. There's a high pitched whining sound on the guitar, and it's like I don't think those amps were meant to take that kind of sound. Yeah, all the 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 bandmates have now stopped playing, and they are looking at him like, dude. What is this? Yeah, he even, Marty opens his eyes and looks out on the crowd. And all of them are just looking at, like, so, a lot of the girls, like, they have their arms crossed. Like, what, they all look like disapproving, like, look, these same faces 30 years down the road, all arms folded, like, disapproving. Like, I don't approve of this music. <laughs> just the ladies all are, like, these bewildered, confused, ir very irritated looks. A lot of the girls have their arms folded across their chest. Like, what even? Who is this? They don't know who Marty is. <laughs> this guy playing this weird... It was nice at first. You were playing Johnny Be Good, and then you went off into some weird third dimension <laughs> music. And Strickland's got his hands over his ears. So, he hands the guitar back to... And I like how the guy who <laughs> takes the guitar from him is like... Checking it over just to make sure it's still all in one piece. Or like, you didn't, like, fuck up my guitar, did you, with your weird ass playing? And Marty, like, <laughs> loosens his tie, like, oh, I guess you guys aren't ready for that. Because I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are gonna love it. Yeah, like, when, in 30 years, when you hear this again, you're gonna wonder, like, hmm, where did I hear that before? And you'll, now you'll know. <laughs> Yeah, he heads down the stairs because he's got to get his ass in gear and get out of there so he can get to uh, 1985. And I love how even George and Lorraine, Lorraine's like, wow, Marty, that was some interesting playing that you did. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah, she's like, that was some interesting music, isn't it? I've never heard of that before. <laughs> and she's like, oh, Marty, I hope you don't mind, but George wanted to know if I'd be okay if he took me home. And Marty is just so, like, overjoyed. Like, oh, yeah, good, good for, yeah, that's great. You know, I had a feeling about you, too, and I love how he does a little chin tuck with Lorraine. <laughs> he, yeah, Marty's like, I had a feeling about you, too, and Lorraine's like, yeah, I had a feeling, too. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, this is where Marty departs. He's like, look, I, I gotta go, but I, I want to tell you both. I mean, it's been very educational. <laughs> and Lorraine asks, like, Marty, will we ever see you again? And I love how he does a little finger gun. Like, I, I guarantee it. Like, yeah. Georgie just got this confidence. He shakes Marty's hand, says, well, Marty, Marty, I want to thank you for all the great advice you've given me says I'll, I'll never forget it uh, and Marty's like great George that's great well good luck to both of you honestly and Marty of course is like oh one more thing um if you have kids and when one of them is eight years old and accidentally sets fire to the living room rug please go easy on him when Marty says you know when you guys have kids and I love the blush the embarrassment that Lorraine has like oh <laughs> Oh, he says, if if you guys ever have kids. Yeah, and he says, and if one of 
them when he is eight years old accidentally sets fire to the living room rug. Please go easy on him. And I like how when Marty leaves and Lorraine's like, hmm, Marty, that's a really nice name. Lorraine. Marty, that was very interesting music. <laughs> By saying I yeah. Um, um, I hope you don't mind, but George asked if he could take me home. Great, good, good, Lorraine. I have a feeling about you, too. I have a feeling, too. Listen, I gotta go, but uh, I wanted to tell you that it's been educational. Marty, will we ever see you again? I guarantee it. Well, Marty, I want to thank you for all your good advice. I'll never forget it. Right, George. Well, uh, good luck, you guys. Oh, one other thing. If you guys ever have kids, and one of them, when he's eight years old, accidentally sets fire to the living room rug, go easy on him. Okay. Such a nice name. But yeah, now we get back to the clock tower and Doc is looking at his wife like, damn, where is that kid? It's like, it is literally almost 10 o'clock. It's like 9.56 or something. You have eight minutes to get your ass there. Get no less than that. Get in that car and get your button gear. Of course, Marty gets back there and of course... Doc's like, do you have no concept of time? And Marty says, hey, look, <laughs> I had to change. I'm not going back in some zoot suit. And Marty says, look, the old man really came through. I mean, it worked. He laid out Biff in one punch. And Marty says, I didn't know he had it in him. He's never stood up to Biff in his life. And he, uh, Marty shows Doc the picture of all, you know, Marty and David and Linda there. And Doc says, never? And Marty says, no, why? It's like, oh, d don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Let's just focus on the task at hand here. Basically, Doc says, I painted a line there where you're going to start from because you need to get up, accelerate to get up to 88 miles per hour to be able to, so that way it hits at exact time the lightning strikes so it'll send you back. And then he, um, he does the destination set for the exact moment that he left so it's at 1 35 in the morning and i believe that i think marty is going to try to reset it so that we gets there with just enough time to spare to hopefully maybe try to warn doc and he even he brings out that damn letter again to him and doc eventually just rips it up like no 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 letter nothing i can't read this you are this is too dangerous Oh, yeah, they hug, and it's so sweet. And Doc says, see you in about 30 years. And Marty says, I, I hope so. And of course, yeah, when Marty gets in there, into the car, that's when Doc pulls the letter out. It's like, And he, he like, what's the meaning of this? And Marty says, you'll find out in 30 years. And he's just like, no, this is information about the future, isn't it? And he says, the consequences of this could be dangerous. And... Marty says, Doc, that's a risk you're going to have to take. He says, your life depends on it. 
And Marty says, in that case, because Doc starts ripping up that letter, and Marty says, in that case, I'll tell you straight out, and he was going to tell him, and all of a sudden, this branch falls down and disconnects that, um, that cord that was connected to, uh, the clock tower to be able to, yeah, it's like, ah, oh, shit, now he's got to get up there and try to reconnect the two, uh, cords. All right, yeah, he's like, look, I can just go back 10 extra minutes and just warn Doc, because he's like, damn it, he tore up that letter. So instead of going back at 135, he's going back at 124. Yeah, it's a lot of things getting disconnected, cords getting, <laughs> and that Doc has to do and get taken care of. And he actually loops the cord around the uh, clock hand. The lightning hits it, and Marty hits that cord right at the exact second that the lightning comes down and boom, he's gone. He's back to 1985. And actually, I think, isn't that the old... So yeah, Marty gets back to 1985 and I think that is the old mayor from 1955 who is now a bum sleeping on a park bench. Or just on a bench. Because he sees uh, the DeLorean <laughs> go back. Or just come out of the air like, what the fuck am I looking Of course, he's holding the bottle, so he's probably already drunk anyway. Oh, the DeLorean crashes into the Assembly of Christ. Um, (laughs) that, uh, yeah, that, I don't know whether it's supposed to be a church or what that's supposed to be. But it used to be a theater. Well, Marty gets out and it's like, everything just looks just like 1985 as as he left it, basically. And it's like, alright, 124, I still have time. I gotta get to dock. And of course, here comes that VW van of the Libyans that are on their way to find dock. So, yeah, Marty just runs there to the uh, mall parking lot. And (laughs) he does see dock get gunned down. So, and we do see a difference there. It says Lone Pine Mall, not Twin Pines Mall. Lone Pine Mall. So, of course... Because Marty took out that one pine, now it's Lone Pine Mall. So that is a change. And he's watching everything play out just like it had in the very beginning. He's watching the scene play out. So, Marty sees himself in the time in the DeLorean take off and go into uh, into 1955. And then he runs to Doc and rolls him over and he just starts crying. He's like, Doc, he's dead. He sees all the bullet wounds there. Bullet entry shots. And Marty just starts crying. He's like, no, no. It's like, it was too late. And then we look at Doc, kind of splayed there. And we see him blink. It's like, oh, he's alive. And Doc sees, you know, or Marty sees Doc sit up. And they look at each other. It's like, you're alive? And then Doc unzips his radiation suit and shows him a bulletproof vest. It's like, you're alive, but I didn't have a chance to tell you. And that's where Doc pulls out the letter. He taped it together. He figured it was worth the risk. And Marty even calls, kind of calls him on Like, what about that, uh, the whole talk about screwing up future events? Like, the space-time continuum thing. <laughs> like, you, that you warned me about so many times. And... Doc says, well, I figured, what the hell. (laughs) Oh, Professor. How did you know? I 
I, I never got a chance to tell you. Screwing up future events, the space-time continuum? Well, I figured. What the hell? So, Doc drops Marty off at home, and uh, uh, Marty says, well, how far do you think you're going to go? And Doc says, eh, 30 years. Nice round number. And Marty shakes his hand and says, you know, look me up when you get there, alright? I mean, I figure I'll be about 47 by that time. <laughs> So how far ahead are you going? About 30 years. It's a nice round number. Look me up when you get there, all right? This will be about 47. I will. Take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye, Annie. Oh, and watch that re-entry. It's a little bumpy. You bet. Marty goes to sleep and he wakes up. He probably still thinks it's all a dream. He doesn't think anything's changed. And it's 10.27 in the morning. His alarm went off at 10.28. Well, I mean, he's getting home probably, what, close to 2 a.m. So it's a good eight and a half hours of sleep just about. He still sleeps with his arm behind his back and one arm under his stomach. I don't know anyone that sleeps like that. Just looks like both your arms will be numb because one's across your back and one's under your stomach. And Marty wakes up, he's like, oh, what a nightmare. He probably thinks it's all a dream. He looks at, like, he goes to go into the kitchen, but then he doubles back and looks, and it's like, their house looks fucking amazing. It looks gorgeous. Track lighting, comfy-looking sofa, just nice cream colors, just beautiful artwork. Just like, am I in the right house? So, we hear Linda and... <laughs> and Dave in the kitchen and Linda says I'm working at the boutique late tonight so I guess maybe she's got her own fashion store or something and she says if this guy calls if Paul calls let tell him I'm working late and David says Linda first of all I'm not your answering service so just like how Linda was in the beginning of the movie but someone named Greg or Craig called you last night he says, someone named Greg or Craig called you just a while ago. And Linda says, well, who is it? Greg or Craig? And she's not wearing glasses. She looks gorgeous. Dave's wearing a suit. He's reading Forbes magazine. There's a white piano in the corner. It just, the whole house, it's just like either cream white or egg white walls. It just, everything about it looks just like pristine, gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful house. Yeah. And she's like, well, who is it, Greg or Craig? He's like, I don't know. I can't keep up with all your boyfriends. He's like, well, what the hell is this? And she says, breakfast. Yeah, we see a grapefruit. We see, uh, I keep wanting to call him Larry. Uh, David's drinking coffee. And Linda's eating strawberries in a bowl. And David's like, did you sleep in your clothes again last night, man? What's up with you? Yeah, and it's just, yeah, the last time he saw his brother, he was wearing a, like, Burger King uniform. It's like, yeah, man, what are you wearing, Dave? It's like, Marty, I always wear a suit to the office. And, 
Oh my god, his siblings are successful, beautiful, amazing people. And here we hear George and Elaine, I guess they've been out playing tennis, and she says something about a rematch. And he says, why, were you cheating? Uh, they look gorgeous, by the way. Absolutely, I mean, she's thin, just... And he looks, I mean, I love George's uh, aviator glasses. He looks really, really hot. Just the sight of his parents just looking total 80s, gorge. Just he faints, he passes out. And they're like, Marty, are you okay? It's almost like he's the odd duck of the family because he just, everyone's all in nice, ex well, I, I don't know, expensive clothes, but just uh, they're not dressing like what Marty's dressing like. Because I think Linda and David are both out of college, I would imagine. They're like in their 20s. Yeah, and he's like, wow, you, she's like, Marty, did you hit your head? And he's like, Mom, Dad, I mean, you guys look great. Mom, you look so thin. And she's like, oh, well, thank you. Aw, oh. <laughs> George playing a little ass grab there with Lorraine. <laughs> Linda relays a message that Jennifer Parker called, and... Lorraine is just like, oh, I really like her, Marty. Isn't this that special weekend where you and her go up to the lake together? Like, yeah, she knows. She knows. She's she's with it. And she's cool with it, too. He said, she, she says, like, yeah, I really like her. She's such a sweet girl. You know, isn't this the night of the big date? I'm thinking, how does she know? Yeah, and Marty is just like, what? What, Ma? And she's like, well, aren't you going up to the lake? She says, you've been planning it for two weeks. Mom, we talked about this. How can I go to the lake? The car's wrecked. And Linda and Dave are, David are late. Wait, what, wait, what about the car? What happened? Why the hell am I the first to know about this? Why am I the last to know about this? Yeah, the car's fine. George opens the door and we see Biff waxing the car. So, yeah, Biff is now George's lackey. Thank you. And you're welcome. Yeah, he's got a BMW. In the beginning, it was like some white piece of sh crap looking poopy car I was like you see there's Biff out there waxing the car yeah it's BMW of course he says now Biff I want to make sure we get two coats of wax on it this time right not just one and he says oh I was just finishing up the second coat right now and I love how George is like now Biff don't con me alright <laughs> oh yeah Biff's auto detail okay interesting yeah, <laughs> yeah. Biff is the the ween the the door this time around because oh I'm I'm sorry Mr McFly I mean I was just starting on the second coat. I love how George just closes the door and says oh Biff what a character, always trying to get away with something. He says I always had to stay on top of Biff ever since high school. Yeah, and, and George says, you know, if it wasn't for him, we never would have fallen in love. Well, Lorraine says we never would have fallen in love. Yeah, George's new book just arrived. So yeah, he is an author. His first novel, A Match Made in Space. And we see young George and what looks like someone who could pass for Elaine. And then we see, like, what Marty was in his hazmat suit with the, uh, the little Walkman thing attached to the the belt. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is, wow. Thick damn book and a black and white photo of him on the back. And he says, you know, I've always told you, when you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Yeah. 
Biff gives Marty the keys. Like, your vehicle's all waxed up. Like, what? I didn't know I had a car. He's got that sweet-ass 4x4 Toyota pickup truck. Yes! Everything worked out dandy. Everything. Everything worked out great for everybody. Paul calls me, tell him I'm working at the boutique late tonight. Linda, first of all, I'm not your answering service. Second of all, somebody named Greg or Craig called you just a little while ago. Well, which one was it, Greg or Craig? I don't know. I can't keep up with all of your boyfriends. Uh, hey, what the hell is this? Breakfast. Would you sleep in your clothes again last night? Yeah, I... Yeah, what are, what are you wearing, Dave? Marty. I always wear a suit to the office. You all right? Yeah. I think you need a rematch. Oh, 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 a rematch? Why? Were you cheating? <laughs> no. Hello. Good morning. <sighs> Mom. Dad. What, did you hit your you head? Right? You guys. You guys look great. Mom, you, you look so thin. Oh, thank you, Marty. George. <laughs> Good morning, sleepyhead. <laughs> Oh, Marty, I almost forgot Jennifer Parker called. Oh, I sure like her, Marty. She is such a sweet girl. Isn't tonight the night of the big date? What? When, Ma? Aren't you going up to the lake tonight? You've been planning it for two weeks. Well, Mom, we talked about this, but how can I go to the lake? The car's wrecked. Wrecked? Wrecked? When the hell did this happen? And why, why am I told? I'm sure the car is fine. Why am I always the last one to know about these things? See, there's Biff out there waxing you right now. Uh, now, Biff, I want to make sure that we get two coats of wax this time, not just one. Just finishing up the second coat now. Now, Biff, don't con me. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. McFly. I, I meant I was just starting on the second coat. <laughs> yeah, Biff, what a character. Always trying to get away with something. Yeah, I've talked to Biff ever since high school. Although, if it wasn't for him... We never would have fallen in love. That's right. Mr. McFly! Mr. McFly, you just arrived! Oh, hi, Marty! I think it's your new book! Oh, honey. Your first novel. Like I've always told you, you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Oh, Marty! Marty, here's your keys. You're all waxed up right <clears throat> for tonight. Keys. So Marty just, oh, he cannot believe his good fortune that he's got this he, truck to call his very own. And here comes Jennifer strolling up. He says, how about a, ra how about a ride, mister? And he turns and looks at her like, oh, Jennifer, are you a sight for sore eyes? Yeah. He's like, oh, Jennifer, aren't you a sight for sore eyes? Let me look at you. And he goes over to her. And she said, Marty, you're acting like you haven't seen me in over a week. He says, I haven't. He feels his head like, uh, are you okay? <laughs> she asks him, like, is everything all right? And he turns to look at the car. He's like, never better. Oh, and I love how George and Lorraine are just there in the doorway. Just like, oh, our boy. Says, oh, yeah, everything is great. And they go to kiss, and Doc is back with the DeLorean. And he's got some semi-unsettling news about uh, what happens in 
30 years, basically 2015. It's not good. So he, he goes over to Marty and says, Marty, you have to come back with me. And Marty is like, where? And Doc says, to the future. Like, no, I just got back. We want to take the new truck for a spin. So, yeah, and he starts, Doc starts going through the garbage looking for, <laughs> like, stuff. It says Mr. Fusion Home Energy Reactor. It's throwing, like, beer in there, too. So it's like, apparently, what, the, in the future it doesn't run on plutonium. It runs on, like, beer and banana peels. <laughs> He's like, get in the car! And Marty's like, Doc, no, I just got here, okay? I'm going, we're going to take the new truck for a spin. Jennifer's here, we're going to take the new truck for a spin. And Doc says, well, bring her along. This concerns her also. Marty's like, Doc, wait a minute. What, what are you talking about? What happens to us in the future? I mean, do we become, like, assholes or something? And he says, no, no, no. Both you and Jennifer turn out fine. It's your kids. Something's got to be done about your kids. That's interesting. So the license plate, of course, does not say out of time out of time anymore. It says, I can't even read what the hell that's supposed to be. It's some weird, like, barcode. like a, Almost like a QR code, but not. And Marty says, because Jennifer's sitting in his lap, and he's like, hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. And Doc says road where we're going we don't need road he puts on it looks like some stainless steel type glasses i like how the effect of the tires turn so they're underneath the delorean i'm like that is cool and it's like the delorean floats in the air does a yui and then comes straight at us How about a ride, mister? Jennifer. <laughs> oh, you a sight for sore eyes. Let me look at you. Marty, you're acting like you haven't seen me in a week. I haven't. You okay? Is everything all right? Oh, yeah. Everything is great. I need fuel. Go ahead, quit, get in the car. No, 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 Doc, I just got here, okay? Jennifer's here, we're gonna take the new truck for a spin. Well, bring her along. This concerns her, too. Wait a minute, Doc, well, what are you talking about? What happens to us in the future? We're gonna become assholes or something? No, 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 Marty. Both you and Jennifer turn out fine. It's your kids, Marty. Something has gotta be done about your kids. Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. 
so that was the movie. That was my review of Back to the Future. Oh, I just love this movie so, so much. So this movie was actually released July 3rd of 1985, so the day before the 4th of July. Alright, let's see. Let's see if we can see like how much the movie did in the theaters. I should have that on here. Yeah, it says budget was 19 million. Opening weekend it did 11 million. Grossed 211 million 406,762 worldwide gross 381 million 906,762. Wow, that is that is just wow. Let's see. There's some taglines here. Let's see. In the for the UK, he's the only kid ever to get into trouble before he was born. <laughs> he was never in time for his classes. Then one day he wasn't in his time at all. Seventeen-year-old Marty McFly got home early last night, thirty years early. <laughs> Let's see, Marty McFly is having the time of his life. The only question is, what time is it? Meet Marty McFly. He's broken the time barrier, busted his parents' first date, and maybe botched his chances of ever being born. Marty McFly just broke the time barrier. He's only got one week to get it fixed. Yeah, there's some pretty cool taglines there. All right, let's take a look at some of these, uh, some of the trivia. Let's see, now, there's so much of this, I'm going to pick, uh, some things. The script was rejected 44 times before it was finally greenlit. Biff's catchphrases catchphrases make like a tree and get out of here and butthead were improvised by Tom Wilson. So okay so Michael J. Fox is actually five four and a half so he's actually two and a half inches tall taller than me. Wow. Um, and Christopher Lloyd is actually six foot one. Actually, it does turn out that before Michael J. Fox was picked, Eric Schultz, or Stoltz, excuse me, was actually picked as Marty McFly, and they actually filmed a, a, a good amount of scenes, and it just, I guess, they weren't really impressed with his, his delivery. I guess he's playing it a little too serious, and it's more kind of a comedy adventure kind of movie so they ended up when they got Michael J. Fox in there it just it seemed to go a lot better. So actually yeah it was six weeks of filming with Stoltz and they just kind of you know Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale said that they felt like he just wasn't right for the part. Unfortunately with family ties Michael J. Fox was not available at the time so somehow they were able to make it work and they got Michael J. Fox in there. It took three hours in makeup to turn the 23-year-old Leah Thompson into the 47-year-old Lorraine. Okay, here's one. In April 2020, Back to the Future screenwriter Bob Gale finally decided to explain the plot hole question about why Marty's parents didn't remember him as the kid in high school who got them together. He told The Hollywood Reporter, bear in mind that George and Lorraine only knew Marty slash Calvin for eight days when they were 17, and they did not even see him 
every one of those eight days. So many years later, they still might remember that interesting kid who got them together on their first date. He continued, but I would ask anyone to think back on their own high school days and ask themselves how well they remember a kid who might have been at their school for even a semester, or someone you went out with just one time. If you had no photo reference after 25 years, you'd probably just have a hazy recollection. So Lorraine and George might think it funny that they once actually met someone named Calvin Klein. And even if they thought their son at age 16 or 17 had some resemblance to him, it wouldn't be a huge deal or wouldn't be a big deal. I'd bet most of us could look through our high school yearbooks and find photos of our teenage classmates that bear some resemblance to our children. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) To be continued was inserted into the end of the VHS Back to the Future 1985 release and was omitted from the 2002 DVD release. The cliffhanger ending of the film was not originally intended to set up a sequel, but rather just as one last joke. It was admitted by the writer that if they originally intended to follow the two sequels, the ending would not have had Jennifer get into the car with Doc and Marty. This is why Jennifer was almost immediately knocked unconscious at the beginning of Back to the Future Part 2. Alright, and that's going to be it for trivia, so if you guys want to email, again, email the podcast, you can do so at lbmwonderyearspodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to leave a review for the podcast, I would love to be able to get some reviews for looking back on my Wonder Years. A Wonder Years podcast, you can do so by going to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, typing in the Wonder Years and the Looking Back on My Wonder Years podcast will pop up. Scroll down to where it says leave a review and leave a review. All five-star reviews help the podcast get noticed by other Wonder Years fans like yourself. So, all right. Bye-bye, everybody.